0: Hello and welcome
1: aboard the Battleship Pretension, I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bach, And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? I'm in a great mood. I I know that. We've been laughing up a storm over here. Sure. Um, at some some corny jokes of our own, but we were also laughing at some great jokes that you and I saw uh, uh, in a movie on Tuesday night. That's right, except people already heard about that. Uh, that's right, because we have already released the movie journal Indeed. that we have not now we're like we're like Bill and Ted like we have yeah. to make sure to talk about I was a teenage wear skunk yeah. in the movie journal so that this makes sense yeah like hiding our dad's keys uh, isn't that how they get out of the jail cell yeah, yeah, Bill and Ted yeah I didn't like a, behind like, like a brick in a prison it's cell like yeah when, like when we get out of here we have to grab my dad's keys go yeah. back in time and hide them in this cell yeah uh, I love that movie alright so uh, yeah I was a teenage wear skunk was great but uh, you already heard all about our thoughts on that indeed. Um. Why don't we uh why don't we introduce our guest? Yeah, all right. All right. Uh he's uh been on the show I don't know if he's the most frequent guest, but uh in in maybe the past couple of years he might be. Uh but that's because he's a member of the team himself. He's the the third battleshipper. Uh he is the our editor at large, Scott Nye.
2: I borrowed a copy of Bill and Ted's excellent Adventure fifteen years ago. Never gave it back. Have yet to watch the movie. (laughs) It's still on my shelf today. I mean,
1: okay, 15 years ago. I was going to say you probably don't have a VCR anymore, but yeah, it it would have been DVD DVD 15 years ago. Um, I still
0: have my copy of
1: uh, Constantine
0: that I got from the blockbuster where I worked because they're just getting rid of copies. They weren't selling them uh and so i was like ah, i'll take one david says it's pretty good <laughs> so that was i'm gonna say about 13 years ago yep and it has been on my shelf i stand
1: by it yeah. i have that movie on blu-ray because i bought it on blu-ray yeah. <laughs> because i like that movie yeah you really and i like i mean it. i feel like i know i know um scott will disagree with us here but uh i feel like francis lawrence has risen in the general uh film going Po- film goer's estimation. Oh sure, well certainly as far as uh, in popularity, but I mean, as far I, as, I, as status, I, 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 th- I think he is. Again, you notwithstanding, he is a more respected director. You think
2: so? I think so. Since I am I, Legend, I think a lot of people. No, I think because of the Hunger Games movie, right? But that's what I'm saying. Like people were pretty high on I Am Legend. Yeah, as was I. One prominent film critic said it was the best movie he's ever seen. Uh, think about was that? That was Ben Lyons. Oh,
1: okay. Oh. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. I, I have certain <laughs> things, uh, listeners probably get sick of me saying certain things over and over again, but for 60 minutes, I am legend is a masterpiece. Yeah. Right. And then it falls apart. For a apart. while. For sure. It's the
0: best film I've ever
1: seen. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Ben Lyons had to leave early, <laughs> but it's still, it's still pretty damn good. So I guess what I'm saying is people respect. I am legend. People like what Francis Lawrence did with the hunger games, uh, sequels. Again, Scott notwithstanding. um, Why hasn't there been a reappraisal of Constantine? Do you know
0: what I'm saying? Because I think people don't think about it or care about it. Ever, yeah. It's too bad. I've never seen it. it you know what? Great. Sounds to me like old Tyler Smith is going to have to dust off this copy of Constantine <laughs> and, uh, and 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 re- and actually appraise it for the first time.
1: Uh, yeah, um, you got to do that. Uh, you should watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I should mostly. It's a good movie, but mostly you should watch it so that you can then watch Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. That's what I've heard. Which, which I, I which I've never seen. Oh, see, I that's on the uh, for me fairly short list of sequels that are better than the originals, Mm. but actually not as short a list as you'd think. There's actually (laughs) a lot of sequels. Gremlins 2, I like better. Now, which batch Um, is that? That's the new batch. That's the new batch. The new batch. Yeah. Um, I've talked, we've talked about, with superhero movies, I like sure. Spider-Man, 2, Spider-Man 2, I like X2, I like the Dark Knight, all, all better than, uh, and Batman Returns, as we just talked about. I like them all better than the original. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's, there's more
2: than, what, what about you? I definitely I like, like most sequels better than the original, I'd say. I like the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie better than the original. i only, um, I only ever saw the first one. Oh, the second's amazing. Um, it has its moments. It's amazing. It I like Davy like, uh, Jones, and he's awesome. Uh, I like Chamber of it, Secrets better than uh, Sorcerer's Stone. I, I haven't seen the first two Harry Potter movies at all, hmm. actually. Um, and that second part of the Kirby movie also has that three-way sword fight. That part With the great. big wheel. I'm on board with that. And Kieran Knightley's better in that movie than the first one. You should check that movie she's out again. Better, That's all I'm saying. She's better
0: in so far as, like, I, she's still not necessary. She and Orlando Bloom should not have been in it. Nah, no, nah, I think I she... Like the, I, I just wish that, like, that I think they, they kept the... Well, they kept so many things from the first film. Right. I feel like that was their first mistake. It's just like... Some of the callbacks, yeah. Ugh, no thank you. It's like, let that damn rum line go. You're really hung up on that rum line. It bothers me so much. I've heard you mention much. it
2: so many times on this podcast. So much. Where were we? I like the like, second Godfather movie, too.
1: Um, I, I I think I still like the first one. First yeah. half of the better, but I love yeah uh, uh, yeah. Um, Empire Strikes Back is also I Obviously. think I like
0: better. Mission's um, Impossible three, four, and five for me are all better than the first one. I don't like the second one that much. But, yeah, nobody does. Yeah,
1: um, I would say that the third one's better than the first. I haven't seen uh, Ghost Protocol or Ro- Rouge, Rouge Nation. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what are we? Gonna say? Oh, rum. Okay, I see. I haven't seen the second Pirates movie. Okay, but, but you do drink a lot of rum. But there's, he, the, the, I'm guessing that he rums that joke into the ground (laughs) is that what happens but seriously does he continue to make reference to rum as if it's become a catchphrase is that what i'm saying it's really only hearing like once
2: or twice that it comes up in the movie
1: because i have talked about this job before my first job in los angeles my first job in the entertainment industry yeah i was a pa on a thing that disney did at the kodak then kodak theater right um that was just for their big stockholders to right. come and they all day it's it's it was basically like a whole h presentation all day of here's everything we have coming up in 2006 because it we've been the end of 2005 yeah um and it was it was so eye opening to me to realize like who has the real power because this is i saw so many famous people that day but they were just there as pawns like they just had to walk out some of them got to actually talk um like uh uh like Jody Foster and Mel Gibson. This is a pre scandal, uh, Mel Gibson uh there to promote Apocalypto actually got to talk. Um other people like Josh Lucas just was there to wave or whatever. That's about right. Um because Glory Road but, was that it? Uh, yeah, that's what he was pushing. Uh, what he was there to sell, and uh, yeah, Josh Lucas and Jerry Bruckheimer uh, stood right next to me. I'm taller than both of them, which, uh, if you know me, no, <laughs> you know it's, uh, it's saying something because I would have guessed that I Josh Lucas is
2: like six three. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the thing. Jerry Bruckheimer reads tall to me too for some yeah. reason. Oh, Jerry Bruckheimer is uh, a petite man. Just put him in your um, pocket. <laughs> he's he's adorable, but. Johnny Depp was there.
1: Mm-hmm. Not as Johnny Depp, Ugh. but as Captain Jack Sparrow. And right. he had to come out on stage at the Kodak Theater in front of all these fat cats and make <laughs> references to Rome. And they ate it up. This story, and I never
2: felt so sorry. The for fat Johnny cats Depp. ate it up like they're huge plates of meat <laughs> and their giant cigars that they love to chomp on.
1: <laughs> that,
0: that story makes me so... De- it's just such a depressing story because yeah. it just... Like, I recognize that Jack Sparrow like re not necessarily reinvigorated Johnny Depp's career, but I mean it definitely moved him into a different oh, yeah. level. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure he feels like, well, I owe it to Disney, I owe it. Or it, to it the might character. be in the
1: contract when you signed it or something like that.
0: Oh, right. <laughs> That's some real fucking uh, devil and Daniel Webster <laughs> stuff there.
1: Yeah, Elton John was there. Okay,
2: to play part of Benny and the Jets to promote know me <laughs> and Juliet. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> it seems like he could reconfigure that slightly to get the title in there.
0: Romeo <laughs> and Juliet was way after that. Uh, yeah, that was like 2011 and animated movies take a while. That's true. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's uh, a weird um, thing to promote four four or five years
2: out. I forgot that was even a Disney movie. Yeah. That's embarrassing. It's terrible. Um, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. I d- yeah. Uh, uh that's that, that, story about poor Johnny Depp. Um, poor Johnny Depp. Let's, uh, speaking of shilling yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah here you can
0: listen to me die a little bit i'm joking of course why would i die when i'm talking about movie you know what if i died i'd die happy uh doing what i love talking
1: about movie our sponsor what if someone that you weren't a fan of wanted to sponsor us not i'm not saying morally but i'm saying like a company that makes sauerkraut or something that you as a picky eater would never eat You'd be
0: okay with that. What copy would the like? What would I have to say? As long as I don't have to say like I love sauerkraut. Me, Tyler Smith. Like (laughs) as long as I don't have to say that, which is we lie. Yeah, as long as I don't have to lie, I'm fine.
1: All right. I guess I'd have to read that one then.
0: No, no question. No question. But everyone at this table gets behind movie. That's true. Hang on. Is that true? Hell yeah. All right. Glad to hear it. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So now one thing that I wanted to to I haven't mentioned it in a while. If you've gone to Battleship Pretension. Dot com. You've seen the movie ad on the side. It says, Life is too short for bad films. That is the philosophy behind movies. So every film that is available is a good film. It's been curated. Uh, movie, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, movies' curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only. Five ninety nine a month. Now, that is an increase in price. They told me to say this, uh, and it is because they're gaining in popularity, and they actually it, it is costing more to host these wonderful films. Good for them. Yeah, I'm actually like when I said because <laughs> I said oh what's with the increase in price and they said well there's this and this and I was like well I have to assume. That's us. us. We We did did that. So thanks, listeners. Uh, It does cause the the price to go up, but that's what it costs for uh, great films. And life is too short for bad films. That's what I. And also, what a dollar? It's a dollar. Like
1: it's look at how much like a burger at Carlos Jr. has gone up. In uh, 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 how every American judges their dollar. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm saying, and that is like four fifty. I'm going to say four fifty. No, here's the thing. You joke, Scott, but that is kind of how I.
2: No, it's everyone's like, got their thing. Yeah. I just like that you threw out there as, like, the thing that everyone can relate to. Yeah. Usually,
1: but I feel like usually people say, like, a,
0: like a quart of milk.
2: That's, cup, that's cup
1: of coffee, quart like. of milk. I, I have no idea how much either of these <laughs> costs, because uh, I don't drink milk, and I only drink the free coffee at work. Um, I go by Disney parking. Carlos Jr., but here's the thing with Carlos Jr., is in the late 90s or the 2000s, they introduced a thing on their menu called the $6 burger. Mm -hmm. Right. It didn't cost $6. The idea was it was meant to replicate the kind of burger when you're splurging (laughs) and spending $6 at a sit-down restaurant for a burger. I think I see where (laughs) this story's going. (laughs) No, that's not a story. I'm just saying now the baseline burger at Carl's Jr. is more than $6. Oh, okay. Is it
2: really? The baseline?
1: uh, It depends because they have... uh, like I, juniors. Okay. No, I spent a lot of time at Junior. <laughs> no, I used you to can do get your, like regular, so patty, but you can also right. get your like third pound thick burger. Yeah. And I think those for their specialty items where it's like, now they have the moonshine, uh, thing, which I just think of as the Hayden Panettiere burger, which okay. is in the commercial. <laughs> Uh, and it's also delicious. Um, but yeah, I think that is more than $6 even before. Okay, I thought right. you were talking
2: about like the baseline thing. Which no, I, yeah, I used no. to get, uh, and I'm that was like $3. And was What
1: great. their $6 burger used to be, which is now just their thick burgers. Right. Those are like at least $6. Okay. On that own. makes sense.
0: The thing is when I said, I see where it's going, I could see it being a situation where like the $6 burger. And then in behind the scenes, they're just like, all right, so this is absolutely going to be $6. Eventually <laughs> right. uh, we all know this and we're just going to phase this in. We're we're thinking about like uh, let's say ten years ahead, right? Um, yeah, and so now that is the base.
1: Now I I, mean, think, I think those specialty burgers are more than six dollars. I tell you
0: one thing I like about Carl's Jr. And i when I say one thing I mean the only thing because I oh, don't really like the like, hamburgers.
1: I like everything. About those
0: Carl's chicken strips, on point. <laughs> I love them. They're really good. Usually fast food chicken strips aren't that good, but Carl's Jr. does it pretty well.
1: Do you consider Popeyes fast food? Because those are the best chicken strips. Uh, I. It is, I mean, it is fast food, food, but it's a
0: chicken place. Like I, I feel like that. that's that's a different situation.
1: All right, uh, let's finish. Reading yeah,
0: <laughs> movie. I'm sure you appreciated that. Um, so okay, uh, let's see. Five ninety nine a month. That's right because it's it's popular. Uh, plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Now, David and Scott, Scott, you don't have to listen. You're the guest. Uh, this month, movie is collaborating with one of the world's premier film festivals for short films, the International Short Film Festival. Oberhausen, which I enjoy saying, and I might be saying wrong. I don't see any umlauts or anything like that, uh, to bring you four new films that are currently competing at festival in Germany, ranging from Finland to the Philippines, from a documentary about aristocratic hunting to apocalyptic Shakespeare. These short films represent the terrific range of subjects and style debuting at the festival. There is also a special offer for listeners of battleship retention. You can try movie free for one month. Just go to movie.com, that's M U B I dot com slash battleship
2: to redeem now. There's also a movie on movie that is relevant to our discussion today, and that's Dodsworth. And everyone which I see that.
0: which I started watching the other
2: day, but oh, man. I could not finish
0: in time for a recording today. It is the best. It's great. Yeah. I'm a big it's Walter Houston, right? Like yeah. I like Walter Houston. Will it. yeah. But we can talk about that next week, David.
3: Okay.
1: Um, <laughs> what are we doing next week? We're going to sur- do
0: another movie. Jeremy. Oh, okay. talk about I was
1: like, aren't we doing the summer movie preview next week?
2: <laughs> oh shoot. Yeah. Um, re-release of Doddsworth <laughs> <laughs> in 3d. am 3D. You can see Walter Houston. As you've never seen
1: him before. <laughs> um, while you're on the internet uh, getting your one month free of, of Mubi, um, you might also want to pick up some earbuds. Might my, my, I mean, you definitely want to pick up some earbuds at tweakedaudio.com because they're stylish, they sound great, and they look great, and they're professional quality earbuds. They come in a variety of styles and colors. They are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But because we think you're cool, if you put the offer code pretension in at checkout... You get one third off that already, already low, low price and no shipping charges. That's tweaked and use the offer code pretension.
2: Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing
3: friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door.
2: Scott, what were you just looking at at my movie Well, show? okay, so the typeface on Pinocchio and Pirates of the Caribbean is very similar. That is true. So at a glance, I thought it was two Pirates of the Caribbean movies. So, uh, Tyler just said he didn't care for those second Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Well, there's plenty of things I don't like that I own. That seems quite apparent. That's, well... That's but true. alas, no. he Listeners, he does only have the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Yes. In this regard, Tyler Smith, man of his word. That's right.
1: I like... I'm not being sarcastic I like that we have a show Where we literally Can't leave anything Behind the curtain <laughs> Like no, It I'm, would be yeah. impossible like, You know what Here's the thing yeah, If, if you was... hadn't commented on I would have commented on <laughs> sure. Scott getting up And looking at the uh, Well
0: but the fact He was looking at our Movie wall At my movie, your, wall, your movie wall. wall You do not own A single
1: shred Of that movie wall That's true um, Though I think You've probably Contributed to it uh, From me. time to time um, And there are a few things That aren't on the movie wall Right now Because they're Gathering dust Next to my television That's true, meant to talk to you About that um, <laughs> I will watch et and some hitchcock movies yes <laughs> those are the two i have right? those are the ones yeah two is interesting
0: because one is an entire hitchcock set
1: yeah and the crude. other day
0: i was like oh i could really go for some psycho
1: shit yeah some psycho shit is what i meant like i wanted to like go crazy have i i've had that a long time you've had it a while because i think i borrowed it to watch the birds around halloween is that right it hasn't been that long it hasn't been that long no. okay now all right. And normally
0: that normally it doesn't it doesn't bother me. In fact, I wasn't even necessarily going to watch Psycho. I was going to try to use it for the little presentation that I uh, did at the International Christian Film Festival, um, and then I had to go with a different film. Well, what'd you, you go with?
2: Don't just leave saying it. If you well, called me, I would have brought
0: it over. toot sweet. No, it's fine. Um, okay. It, well, I went um, with actually something that worked better. Where my my uh, little seminar actually was more of just a, a basic film aesthetics seminar and so when it came time to talk about editing i was going to use uh one of the sequences from psycho specifically when uh, martin balsam eats it um and so uh oh spoilers <laughs> <laughs> so um but instead what i did is i i did a comparative thing i showed a scene from god's not dead which of course everybody in that room had seen and then I compared it with a a very similar type of scene, which is the instructor first walks in, and I uh, used Whiplash. It is maybe the only minute and a half in Whiplash that can be shown at a Christian film festival, but uh, and I compared like the editing choices, uh, or rather the lack of choices in the Christian film, and the the distinct uh, choices made in Whiplash, and uh, a lot of people uh, very complimentary of that uh, oh, of good. that comparison. Oh, good.
2: Um. But now they're going to see Whiplash and just be pissed off that you... I gave them a heads up. Okay, I good, let good, everyone good. know. <laughs>
1: um, as far as those movies that I have, because you mentioned it's multiple movies. Yes. So what's the scale? Like, how long can I use, uh, as a counter-argument, the fact that you had my copy of In the Mood for Love for nearly two years? <laughs> you can use that for... Because it's got to be... I'm going to say it another year and a half. <laughs> the fact that I have more movies than you have oh, means it probably means that's I can true. use it less. You've got one more month.
0: Okay, <laughs> I'll watch those. Real and quick. then I had uh, Scott's late spring for a long time, right?
2: Uh, yeah, well, I had Year the Sting for, and I believe uh, a solid year. It's back on the shelf. I just and you checked. gave me Deadwood back. Yeah, That's did. Fun. did you watch the Sting? I did not watch the Sting.
0: You son of a bitch! You got to watch these movies. I'm now you, know. have to this to you again.
1: Who's That'd copy? Be great.
2: Okay, who's copy of Bill and Ted do you have? That's my uh, friend Ken Caldwell from high school.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna. You just give me his email address. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. That's enough fucking around. Yeah. Uh, let's That's, get into it, shall we? As I said before. Do some
0: new fucking around.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Time to move on to the fucking around that we're here to do. I'm just going to uh, shut
0: down for a while and let you guys
1: talk. Yeah, unfortunately. No, you've seen some of these. Uh, oh, okay. Good. Yeah, well, if we're just talking about stuff we've seen, there's going to be plenty. Um, I was going to limit it to what we're talking about. The turn classic, uh, the TCM Classic Film Festival. There you go. Uh, What's well, the Turner Classic Movies Classic Film Festival? But I think on like, their copy and everything, they yeah, just do TCM, TCM Classic, Classic Film yeah. Festival. on the copy, including the nifty little tote bag they gave me. Yeah. Um,
2: it really is. I mean, it, one of the best parts of going to that festival every year is a new tote bag every year. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was, that was very nice. if uh, you check to see if I'm using it? I did. It. I'm not because my um, uh, Hudson Bay tote bag is much larger and can fit mm. more. Uh, stuff they haven't gotten smaller. The TCM tote bags. The first one I got, oh, it's it's enormous. <laughs> you could travel in that thing. <laughs> uh, so uh, this is my first time attending TCM Classic Film Festival. It will not be my last because it was uh, revelatory to me. Like it, uh, it was. I only saw six movies the whole time, but it was um, an unbelievably good time. That sort of rekindled some things about cinema that I hadn't felt in a while, I think.
2: I'm very glad to hear that because I've been in love with TCM Fest since I first moved here. It The first one I went to was like three months after I moved here, so mm-hmm. it's been a pretty stable part of my LA experience. And yeah, every year, well, increasingly as I've gotten more involved with the festival, I just get stressed out about it going into it, but then as soon as I'm out of it, I'm like, I can't wait till next year.
1: It's yeah, going to be the best. Uh, yeah, I and mean, that's kind of how I was. That's the difference. Like with, with Sundance or with Comic-Con, I often don't really like you're saying I don't feel I don't Maryland in sentence, the sense the once but I have to say I had this experience um that I often have at Comic-Con where I don't really realize that I had a good time until it's yeah. over. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have maybe because TCM is new um and also it's a short train ride from home and it wasn't as as stressful for me. Um I was having a blast the whole time and I think it's it's not I I said something on Twitter about how I think I love mo- movies more than I did a week ago. And I don't know if that's necessarily true but I think I had um, become soured on not soured but less enthusiastic about the actual cinema experience like yeah. going to see a movie on a screen with a bunch of people um, and I think it's because I get either I'm Well, you go to so to, many press screenings well okay that's let's set that aside okay that's <laughs> because press screenings are another animal either I'm going to a first run uh m- movie and I'm surrounded by people who are who this is a movie fandom or movie going as a casual thing right. to them um and, and they're not ta- they're not treating it with the same respect that I am not that I I've gotten past the idea of the age of like requiring them to but it does uh, or I'm going to uh, if I'm going to a rep screening or something I'm generally surrounded by People I wouldn't associate
2: with <laughs> old movie weirdos, some but, call but also them.
1: snobs or those who. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, you've I, you've talked about this, and I, so has our friend Amy Nicholson. Like the people who can't um, help but laugh when oh, they're not yeah. supposed to, like the Ugh. ironic, like the showing that they get it type of. I hate type that of thing. so much. I hate it so much, and but how much of that? I mean, like, like you said, they can't help but laugh.
0: Like it's a it's a laugh of recognition. Do you think it is a choice? or do you think they have cultivated this horrible um, attitude for so long <laughs> that it's now instinct
1: maybe maybe yeah maybe it's not a choice maybe they i think it's not even cultivating an attitude i think it's that they it, it's a certain uh insecurity okay um do you know if this is going to be a long way to get there but um one of my favorite novelists is neil stevenson mm-hmm. and he's written a lot of books one of them uh being *Kryptonomicon* in which he makes an observation, or I think the character, one of the characters makes an observation that to a nerdy person, any declarative statement that you make to them is taken as an assumption that they didn't already know that thing. (laughs) And so they immediately get defensive. And I do think there's, with some of the people who, who are laughing, I think it's an insecure defensive reaction to say, uh, yeah, I like this thing, but I know that it's dated, or I know that it's corny. It's, the, it's no. to, yeah. it's to uh, inoculate yourself against the the corniness or dated- datedness of it. And I think that uh, that's, I don't know, it, it's it's not that far removed from just liking something ironically, which is a uh, cheap way to experience something. I was going to say, uh, when we talked did, about...
0: Did that all, that all make sense? Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. for sure. When we talked about phases, um, you know, one of the things that I... Uh, I don't think I, I specified it because it's not necessarily a phase. It's just sort of where I am now is uh, recognizing that, yeah, sincerity and earnestness. Uh, there's nothing wrong with those. No, they're pretty you great. Can, you can like something and just like it. It's fine. You know, it's, even yeah. if it's something that other people think are bad, I think is bad or something that is dated or whatever it is, just like you can like something Just because you like it, you don't have to try to prove anything to anybody else. And I say this as somebody who's constantly trying to prove myself to other people, but it's exhausting, and eventually it's like, yeah, I like this show. Sorry. Screw yourself. You know, like right now... Uh like Jen arrived here a long time ago. Like she reads the books she wants to read, she watches the movies she wants to watch, she'll then go watch like really great stuff, but then she'll throw on, like at the moment, Entourage, you know, which I definitely have an opinion on. But she's like, eh, she's like, yeah, it's it got pretty bad, but I just wanna see it through, <laughs> you know. And so and she just watches it totally unapologetically, and I could either spend my my time being like, Hmm, my wife likes entourage. Or I can be like, hey, I'm happy she likes something.
1: The uh, end. Yeah. I don't know. Uh yeah, I I think that's that that's a that's a good attitude. And I think that's that sort of uh, unapologetic enthusiasm. I've used the word enthusiasm like a half dozen times so far. Um and I think that's just a, a indication of how I felt about this film festival. That kind of in, uh, uh Excited. Un- unapologetic enthusiasm is so on display among the the people who attend these this festival like i'm not necessarily saying that these are people that i would all that would be friends with all of them outside of the festival i don't like most people <laughs> um but they these are these are uh, i found this to be uh in large part an ideal group of people to watch old movies with
2: well people travel from all around the country and out and the world the world in fact yeah. um yeah. and a lot of them come from places that don't show old movies on movie screens anymore yeah. you know they probably watch t c m on a fairly regular basis, but as far as like going out to see these old movies, this is it for them yeah. um and it's you know I mean it's not a cheap festival to attend, and so it's kind of people's vacation in a lot of ways, and yeah. so they're out there to have a good time
1: yeah it's that's, that's good and it doesn't hurt that uh every screening has a guest beforehand, uh, oh yeah, sometimes people from the movie which we'll get to um sometimes. In at least two occasions of my uh, uh, my experience, Leonard Moulton, who's always a delight,
2: yeah, they used to um, have uh, comedians a lot more too. And like, if you have Greg Proops introducing movie, you are just right. in a good mood,
1: <laughs> which he did. He introduced uh, Forbidden Planet this year. That's I right, there, yeah, yeah, I was there right there. Uh, he and Robbie the Robot in yeah, uh, oh, Forbidden Planet. That's awesome. Um, I will say this one thing: one, not even a gripe, but just uh, one thing I'll point out about the 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 people this festival. And this is maybe this is just on me. I don't understand clapping for <laughs> someone who isn't there to hear it. I it's don't get it. It's just part of right. the enthusiasm. I don't, I don't get know. it. Um, because I get, okay, it's all the long goodbye. We'll talk about yeah. it later. Elliot Gould was the guest beforehand. Ben Manker interviewed Elliot Gould. He was a delight. Elliot Gould is so funny. He, uh, I'll get more into it later. Um, so when the credits for the long goodbye role, or the opening titles at least, um, start, when Elliot Gould's name comes up, right. you clap. There's a reasonable assumption that he's still with earshot. <laughs> you know who's probably almost certainly not in the theater? is Robert Altman. Why are we clapping for Robert Altman? He, he can't hear it. He's not Tinkerbell. It's not doing anything for him.
2: Yeah, I have mixed feelings about it. I think it is partially like a different form of that laugh recognition thing, because people just want to show that they know who that is. Right. And that they like their work. Um, but then one of the movies I saw there was the bandwagon. And it's fun to have applause after the musical numbers, <laughs> even if it doesn't make any sense, because those movies always leave like a little pause and you either got to <laughs> sit there in awkward silence or you can applaud a little. I think I not that I'm inclined
0: to do it, but I think I get it in the sense that it is, you know, a, a show of support and enthusiasm. Also, it's a unifying thing. You know, uh, if everybody in the theater is applauding, it's like we as a group are appreciating this know. thing.
1: We're all we're we're all already in the dark, facing the same direction, <laughs> enjoying the same thing. Like I know, I feel like we don't need any more glue. I guess don't get me wrong. I never
0: applaud, uh, even if the person is there. Like whatever, you got your money. Um, that's what it's all about. <laughs> you know, but uh, but I I'm I'm less inclined to be upset about it if they if they do like the laughter because that's that's a situation where they're laughing they're laughing at something that isn't inherently funny whereas like here's a credit like the nature of a credit is look at me and and so it's just like oh we approve of that you know and uh same as like a, a musical number like naturally it's like oh we just saw something really amazing we approve of that as opposed to I feel like laughter is like a distancing thing. This is more about embracing.
1: I I like that. I I think that, yeah, it doesn't bother me in the same way. Um, It doesn't get under my skin the way that that, uh, that laughter um, at stuff that isn't supposed to be funny uh, does, but um, it does. It just puzzles me, I guess. Yeah. I don't, I I don't
2: have that reaction. Neither do I, frankly, but it doesn't bother me. (laughs) We're three like crabby old men,
3: <laughs> you know, we kind of hate that's everything. True. I just that's turned true. 30.
2: I feel very old. You just turned 30. Wait, when was your birthday? Last week. I invited you to my party. Oh, yeah. You I, didn't come. Was I, I, atta- I think I might've been out. Of town. I don't know where you go. Yeah. I was there. <laughs> what day was
0: it? It was the 26th. It was a Tuesday. Oh yeah. I was out of town. Okay. So that's I all made, right. I made it my business to be
2: out of town because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to that fucking party. Uh, yeah. We had a great time. Yeah. Actually. It was a blast. Uh, yeah. Turns out, uh, David's wife, Natalie, great bowler. Yep david was bowling and not so much <laughs> i no, here's the thing if we'd gone another i'm just giving you a hard time games, because you're getting so upset about every role of yours
1: <laughs> i remember it's, this is a true story um the night not the night that i met my wife but uh so i i was single i had met natalie at uh, uh a party and met her through uh, a friend my friend sean that I used to previously on with and uh it was Sean's birthday, and he was going to go bowling yeah. at Shadow Lanes. Um, and I didn't want to go because I was really tired. I was working like three jobs at that point in my life. Um, but I went, oh, I bet that girl Natalie is going to be there. Ooh, watch out. <laughs> so I went specifically for that reason. And I also decided to sit out, not bowl, specifically for the reason right. that I was like, I need to make a good impression. And I know myself. <laughs> and if, I, if one of these things goes into the gutter, and I... Uh, curse to the sky and (laughs) kick the ball return thing uh probably not going to get them digits so uh i just hung out so you're worried that
0: she's like i can't date someone that's a bad bowler it's more i can't date a psychopath yeah i
1: can't yes exactly (laughs) okay yeah i had to keep that part of myself hidden until it was too late until until (laughs) you know she was chained
0: to you for eternity
1: yeah uh but i did get them digits that night so that uh i worked out it was the right right choice all right, let's talk about movies. All right, I do like the idea
0: that you just say like it's like, "Hey, could I get your phone number?" She's like, "Absolutely." You're you're so calm. <laughs> I, I I always make it my policy to give my phone number to calm people. Just really zen, relax. That's probably people. a good policy. Actually, it's not a bad
1: policy. All right. Okay, so, what'd you guys see? Let's, yeah, let's, let's go. Get to let's it. go day by day. Um, let's, uh, we we can start with
2: Thursday when I didn't see anything. Yeah, you got shut out of the first movie I saw. Actually,
1: uh, yeah, the first movie that I was. Uh, I rushed from work to try and see one potato, two potato, and I was the very f I was the first person in line to be told you're not getting in.
2: <laughs> That's never happened to me before, but I always dread it happening because that seems like the worst.
1: Yeah, it was like letting people in that, yeah. and, like stopping at me right. and saying, From here on out, you guys aren't getting. <laughs> how did you how did you react to that?
0: Is this like a bad bowling situation? Because uh, <laughs> I feel like No, I, can picture- I think
1: because it was a thing like they let a bunch of people in and then they do like kind of like what happens at uh, in panels at, like large rooms at Comic-Con. They do a seat count. They let right. some more people in. They do a seat count. So I think it was already like a few minutes into the supposed start time of the movie, which is when they're having the uh, the guest or whatever. Yeah. Mm. And I think I'd already prepared myself for the idea okay. that I'm not getting in. Um, but it was just kind of funny. Actually, I guess by that point, it was actually kind of funny to me okay. that I was the <laughs> the first person not allowed in. Yeah, and somebody has to be. You yeah, know, why
0: not right,
2: ultimately. You? Right. Um, yeah, as it was, I got there pretty early and was in the second row off to the side, so <laughs> not surprised that it was tough. Right. Um, but yeah, it was a. Uh, I was pretty surprised by it. It was a uh, race again. This is one potato. T- yeah, one potato, two potato is a race themed film from 1964. It's about an interracial romance, and a lot of films that tackle race in that period can get a little insisting on their theme which is totally understandable. I mean, this is like before the civil rights act, even it was a very urgent issue, but dramatically speaking, it tends to kind of flatten things, but this one really engaged with it full on. It, uh, it's kind of structured around a custody battle in which, uh, the single mother is fighting to keep, uh, her daughter after getting married to a black man. And after her ex-husband comes back into her life, after years of being away and his claim to, having her daughter is basically uh i'm I'm white and not associated with black people Hmm. and he's a much more dynamic dynamic character than you would expect given that you know he's definitely like an out and out racist but he has a scene with a priest where he's trying to find some moral backing for his racism essentially and because he knows deep down that he's wrong but ultimately he's not stopping himself from acting on it and in that same vein uh I guess it would be giving a lot away, but there's, uh, there are characters in there who are presented as more reasonable people who nevertheless, uh, buy into a system of racism that they can't see ever evolving past. And so it kind of leaves you with a sense that we're just stuck in this world, uh, where people know they're doing the wrong thing, but just keep doing it anyway. Um, and so it was a pretty dynamic, interesting movie. And, uh, the acting's really good. Barbara Berry plays the, the main character. She actually won the Best Actress Prize at uh, Cannes that year. Um, and yeah, so I was, I was really impressed with it. It was directed by Larry Pierce who was there to introduce it and kind of talked about the difficulty in getting it released. And ultimately it, he, he was going on, this was a really different time. He, this indie drama about interracial romance in 1964, he was on the tonight show to talk about it before the <laughs> film even had distribution. <laughs> um, and that was what got it distributed in the South. Um, but he talked about, you know, filming, uh, a kiss scene outdoors and they had to wait till 3 AM. So they wouldn't get you know, run out of town on a rail or something. Um, so yeah, it was pretty interesting stuff. Um, Did you see anything else on on Thursday? I did. After that, I saw Los Tallos Amargos. Uh, Last year, David, you and I saw some Argentine noir films at uh, Noir City. If you remember. Yes. (laughs) This is correct. Uh, And so this was another Argentine noir. And so based on those films, I was really excited because it was another restoration by the Film Noir Foundation. Eddie Muller was there to introduce it. Um, And it was another corker of a movie. Um, I think in the Phases episode, uh, you talked a little bit about getting sucked into kind of the aesthetics of noir and just kind of the trappings of it mm. and I feel like noir audiences can be kind of stuck in that without getting too interested in the larger themes or the acting style or any of that they just like they dames and they're hardball detectives or whatever and I I get a little weary of those audiences after a while but Les and Margos reminded me of what fun just a simple straightforward film noir could be that's just uh, I don't want to you know give too much away about it because I hope it'll come out on DVD and Blu-ray eventually but it's just well, those movies where as soon as the guy starts to get into the bad situation, you know where it's going to go, and you love watching every second of it
1: uh yeah i'm i I could have gone to that, and I didn't you should have I had to get up early the next morning, so did I, man. I yeah. was up at
2: seven a m yeah, every day for this festival
1: yeah i i I, I wish I had um, but uh moving on to Friday
2: yeah uh Friday I started with what did I start with? oh, never fear. Uh, which is an Ida Lupino movie. She directed, most famously, The Hitchhiker. Um, I'd also seen of her as The Bigamist. Uh, neither film I'm particularly fond of, and I always felt so bad about it because she held it up as this, like, example of a great female auteur in a time where there's very few women working as directors. Um, but I was really pleased that Never Fear was, an, I thought, a really amazing movie. It's a melodrama about a young dancer who gets struck with polio, as happened to Ida Lupino, actually. Um, I don't know that she was a dancer specifically, but she got polio at a young age. And so she really brings a lot of specificity to the experience. She also co-wrote the screenplay with her husband, and it is largely set in a polio hospital, a real actual polio hospital with real patients. Um, So it has a degree of realism that isn't kind of, never overtakes the movie. She still keeps it a very stylized melodrama, the Main woman Sally Forrest is really amazing. She does a lot with her body, not only in the dance scenes, but not only in the like physical part of playing someone who's disabled, but just in expressing the agony of uh, being disabled, and especially when you're in a profession and a vocation that's so physical and not knowing how to kind of situate herself in the world anymore. Um, so yeah, I don't think that's on DVD, unfortunately, but it's a really special movie.
1: Was this? I know that your. Um... I guess, uh, uh, overall purview at the festival was to see things on 35 millimeter,
2: which is increasingly hard there. Unfortunately.
1: Yeah. I was, I was actually surprised. Like there's, I mean, it's, are are there only two houses
2: that, uh, that's what they say now it used to last year was three or four and it's just been winnowing every year essentially. So was this on, on 35? Yeah. All the films I've saw so far on 35.
1: Yeah. Um, and that's, that's actually, uh, What I should have mentioned, I mentioned in my write-up about getting shot out of One Potato, Two Potato, is that... So the two places that are showing 35 are the Egyptian, which is enormous. Yeah. And then Theater 4, which is about the smallest one there. Yeah. And I think that the rarity of, uh, of, of things being shown on 35 at the festival makes theater Four, an unexpected hot ticket i think that's kind of how i got yeah theater Four is it. kind of
2: infamous within the tcm festival crowd yeah uh, for these kind of shutouts there was one movie double harness that even people because we get the little cue cards as you know um when you line up and even people who got like a number 30 weren't getting in because so many people from the line ahead of us the like high level pass holders and special guests were oh, going right. in ahead of them
1: Um, Here's what I like about those cue cards, though, is that if you line up early enough, as I did for a couple of things, they'll hand you the cue card and they'll say, "Okay, come back to this spot 30 minutes before. Yeah, that's why it's there. And that's so awesome because I could uh, we'll we'll talk about Sunday, but I I got there like pretty much just in time to get in line. But then I had half an hour and I was like, "Okay,
2: I can get some coffee. I can like it was great. Um, yeah, no, it's a good system. Um, but then the frustration is if you get a good number, you're like, I'm in this for sure. And then if you get shut out, <laughs> it's right, kind of yeah. all the more uh, vexing. But yeah. yeah, Theater 4 is my kind of jam because it's all movies that you can't see anywhere else for the most part. It's all on film and it's there's a lot of competition. So there's a lot of enthusiasm, too, once you get in.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. All right, I, I guess I'll, I'll uh, mention the first thing that I saw on Friday, um, which I, I don't know how to approach because it may be the greatest movie-going experience I've ever had in my life. <laughs> um, I saw uh, uh, Carl Theodore Dreyer's The Passion of Joan of Arc uh, yes, at the Egyptian with a live orchestra and choir. Yeah. Um, and it was... That, so it's this, this, uh, this bit of music was written, I think in the mid nineties, um, specifically for, uh, passion of journey, Joan of arc the composer was there. Um, and so it's a, it's a piece on its own called voices, voices of light. I think it's what, it, what it's called. Yeah. And so it has, uh, it has an overture before the movie even starts. Um, and, uh, or actually they started the movie and then, Were you there? No. Okay. So they did show like some of the opening like titles. And then I, I think they stopped the movie because the overture is longer than that section. Hmm. If that makes sense. Or at least in this performance it was. Um, and I was already like tearing up (laughs) during that overture before the movie proper, uh, had even, had even started. Um, it's, uh, it's a movie that I can't believe I'd never seen before because it is, I feel like I can't help but be hyperbolic. (laughs) It has to be one of the greatest movies. I know that uh, a lot of
2: people consider it to be. (laughs) (laughs) It's
1: It's unbelievable. It's sort of, I I kind of had this, the when uh, on the movie journal, like a year ago when I watched uh, another dryer film vampire um, and being so astounded at what he was doing with his camera and with his framing and with movement and stuff at the time that he was doing it, it almost feels like, uh, like Carl Theodore Dreyer was actually a time traveler from like the later half of the 20th century who went back in time and was like, I'm going to blow people's minds with techniques they hadn't, haven't seen before. Um, but uh, I found this so, so much of silent films. Now this is late in the silent era, I guess this is 1928. Yeah. Um, but so much of what we think of silent films is a little more uh, a little more stodgy i know by this point they were getting with things like the last laugh you were getting yeah. a lot more movement um but uh this is different in that it is mostly still except for there are some big camera movements but it's the movie takes up uh, takes place almost entirely in close up and medium shot yeah there are almost no things that you could actually consider like establishing shots in the movie at all and it makes it uh, it sort of makes it feel like pure cinema because it's not rooted to the, to the ground, to, to the location, to the, like the, the spatial geography. Uh, it's just shots up against one, one's another, w- up against one another, um, and creating something out of those juxtapositions. It's like, you know, the, uh. I wish we could the name of the experiment of the actor looking off screen and then you see a, a baby do you know what I'm talking about yeah i can never name? remember it as a I, I always want to say K. that yeah but yeah. that might not be correct um it was sort of that at its highest level uh this movie is it uh, and and the fact that you're seeing it buoyed by and lifted up by all these voices and these live instruments yeah. um and then it has imagery that is uh incredibly, uh, powerful on its own and in, in it's framing, but also I think for me, um, as a Catholic or someone who's raised Catholic, the way that it, uh, visually equates suffering and death and fire and skulls and blood and torture instruments as something that are, that's on the threshold of, of, uh, uh, ascension that like you have to go through that. There's that you have to go through these awful things to get to the higher, higher level. I think it's a very Catholic idea. Um, and it really, really resonated with me. It, it, it was, uh, an incredibly, incredibly moving uh, experience, uh, that I don't, I can't imagine where else this will be replicated.
2: Well, they do have that track on the Criterion DVD at the very least. Oh, love that. Yeah, of that, yeah, same, the Voices of the least, Light thing, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, which is how I first saw it. It's interesting, though, because Dreyer wanted the film to be shown completely silently. Um, so all this great music has since been created for it, but I, I never know quite how to feel about it. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't know about... I could watch a, com- like a completely silent movie just
2: fine at home alone. Yeah. Oh, yeah, in a theater, it'd be, like, unbearable. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> when, you, when you
1: hear,
2: when you hear well, stuff about like that. Well, I mean, just,
1: it reminded me of seeing the assassin in a theater, oh, where yeah. it's so quiet <laughs> that it becomes uncomfortable to, like, cross or uncross your legs yeah. or whatever. Much less
2: just eat a big handful of popcorn. <laughs> and especially the Egyptian, there's, like, no leg room, so yeah. you'll yeah. bump into seats instantly. Um, you know, you hear stuff about...
0: A choice like that which is like i wanted to be totally silent and you're he's like you know what this guy's a real artist on the other side it's like on the other hand it's just like don't be an asshole man come on like <laughs> i know it's early in in the film going experience but please understand how people watch movies right like, it's like when's the last time in life you've just been dead in dead silence with yeah. a group of people i think that's the goal um yeah but <laughs> that's and, like that and also that film has such a sounds weird to put it this way because it almost sounds like an action movie but like it has such a crackling energy to it the film doesn't feel safe it feels oh, now do you yeah. know what i mean when i say that big like, time it's just i it's i so it's one of the films that i watched when i uh, took my little uh hiatus for a month right
1: and yeah don't do that to me again <laughs> okay
0: <laughs> right. oh boy that's <laughs> this is gonna be awkward because i was gonna transition into um but no uh and as I was watching it, and I think any film goer who watches it well into their, their, you know, film going uh, lives, I think there's like, how did I not watch this first? I, I almost, it's like, imagine if, if this is one of the films that you watched when you first discovered films, like when you watch, when you're like 15 or 16. Now, undoubtedly, I probably wouldn't have that much of an appreciation for it, but it would have shaped the way I saw any movie after that. Yeah,
1: there's an argument made both ways. That, yeah, that the more sophisticated you are, the more you appreciate something like this. Yeah, uh, but it does also uh, make me think of like movies. Like, I feel like every movie that I've liked since ni- that came out after 1928, <laughs> I now have to like reevaluate yeah. <laughs> against against this movie. Uh, speaking it's, of influence, though, I did, um, I I was uh, reminded. I don't know when was the last time you guys saw the movie, uh, Elizabeth from what? Indiana? I've never seen it. Uh, I saw it in the theater and that was it. Okay. So it opens with a, uh, like an execution. It might even be a burning. I can't remember. Um, and it opens with all these bird's eye view shots mm. of the people walking out to the execute execution, the, the, uh, prisoner being brought out there. And I realized watching this, like, Oh, that's where they got it from. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's exactly what happens here with right. these awesome shots with, that are, it's not just birds. eye, eye view they're like, on a hinge yeah the camera's like on a hinge on like an archway and it goes from being upside down to looking straight down to like looking out as the people walk walk under it
0: it's like in the untouchables where they burn al capone alive <laughs>
1: okay <laughs> um, you yeah.
0: got my stupid joke right, i did Dad. okay uh, i
1: did get that um <laughs> all right well that was great oh can i tell you the uh the the cool the most powerful part so you've got at the front of the screen, at the front of the house, you've got the, the the orchestra. Yeah, and you've got as far as the choir, you've got stands at either and up against the walls. Oh, cool. And then you've also got soloist singers right in the middle. So mm-hmm. it goes conductor, group of soloists, and then going out from that toward the walls. In the in, this is in the space between the front row and the screen. Conductor, soloist, and then going out, you've got the orchestra, and then you've got the choir at the end. So they're all singing. The uh, you've listened to the Voices Light thing, it builds to a big crescendo at the end. Yeah. At the very end, certain house lights come up, the first like five rows stand up, turn around and start singing, and it turns out they were Hmm. part of it the entire like they turn and look right at the audience with the light on and sing the last like few notes. Um, and it's also, Hey, what a sweet gig. You can sit there and watch a movie <laughs> yeah. and your whole thing is like, just make sure you stand up, turn around and do these three notes at the very end. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's the first five rows of the Egyptian. You're not seeing much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Um, that was, uh, uh, unexpected and,
2: uh, yeah, that's powerful. very cool. Yeah. Were they normally dressed? Because yes, I, they were dressed normally. Okay. It was, Cause it's yeah. a bunch of people in robes. <laughs> like something's, something's going on here. It's like a
0: really classy
2: improv everywhere. <laughs> All right, um, what else did you see, Scott? On Friday, uh, I followed up Never Fear with another melodrama, which is growing to be one of our very favorite genres around, but um, I finally saw Sydney Pollack's The Way We Were. Have you guys seen this movie? I've never seen no. it. No. I feel like it's gotten to be like a punchline or something, but I thought it was incredible. Um, really, I think, underrated despite the fact that it was like a huge financial success at the time and uh, multiple Oscar nominee, winner in the case of the title song and score by Marvin Hamlisch. Uh But just an incredible movie, top to bottom. Do you guys even know what it's about? Because I had no idea going into it. No, I don't know. No, it's, I don't yeah, know. it's about uh, this couple who meets in the 1930s. She, Barbara Streisand, is kind of a campus activist uh, for kind of communist causes, as was very popular during the 1930s. Um, and he, Robert Redford is just kind of a jock and all American type guy. Um, and they drift apart after college and during the war and then end up bumping into each other again and falling in love. And it's very much, it goes all the way through to like the blacklist era as he becomes a writer in Hollywood. And she Mm. takes one side of that whole issue and he's just trying to keep making a living, keep with the establishment. Um, but it really gets to a great sense of people from different backgrounds who love each other intensely, but can't function in a social setting because they just keep approaching things from a different perspective. Um, and as someone who's been in a relationship with a Jewish girl for many years, I certainly related to it very strongly. Um, <laughs> All in good ways. It doesn't work out well for them in the movie. It's worked out well for us so far. Well, but, um, I know.
0: <laughs> I've seen the way you guys interact, and it's uh off-putting. It's very melodramatic, I would say. Sometimes. But isn't that ever a
2: relationship? Um, but yeah, it uh, it's just very touching and very moving, and the title alone kind of tells you where it ends, but because... The immediacy of the performances and everything surrounding them, you can't help but be caught up in it. And uh, I was so glad that I finally took a chance on and saw it at TCM Fest. Who? Uh, anyone special introducing it? Um, oh, who is the woman? You saw her give a talk on her book. Carrie. Uh, Carrie Beauchamp? Yeah. Yeah. Um, she gives great introductions and had a lot of interesting insights about the in, apparently very troubled production, the screenwriter kind of dined out for many years to come on how much he hated the production of that movie. Um, But uh, apparently they also were going to kind of lessen Robert Redford's role, which I think really wouldn't be too bad. I think he brings a lot there. Uh, Barbara Streisand gets most of the press rightfully so because she's amazing to watch, but Redford's asked to do a lot less and I think he still does a lot with that. Um, So yeah, I really hope people check it out. It's, you know, it's out there. Unlike most of these movies I'm talking about. (laughs) Uh, The other movie that I saw, on
1: friday is 1950 uh, 1955 musical called my sister eileen um in which uh jack lemon is top billed even though he's um
2: nowhere near one of the main characters yeah uh have you you've seen it before so long ago that <laughs> when my girlfriend and i were going over the tcm fest schedule uh we kept growing across that movie. It's like, Oh, my sister Eileen, this looks good. And she's like, we saw that <laughs> however many years ago. And this happened like two or three times.
1: <laughs> um, well, I, uh, did you like it when you saw it? I think so. <laughs> I liked it too. It's, yeah. it's full of energy. It's great to look at. Although I, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that later. Um, it's, uh, it, the songs aren't necessarily sticking in my head. Right. Uh, I, I don't remember of, any of them. Yeah. But, uh, the thing that the, the reason I circled it in my calendar is that it was the first uh, Hollywood choreography job uh, or credit that Bob Fosse. That's uh, right. Uh, Every guy who also he's also one of the characters. He also, he also plays a role uh, in, in the movie. Um, and that that part did, did not disappoint. There's a whole uh, uh, you, you know, when like two guys are interested in the same girl and when she's gone, oh, yeah. <laughs> when she's she's like left the room, the way that they show their masculinity to see who's gonna earn the right okay. to, to go out is they have a big dance off obviously you know how that happens um that's a very bob Fosse section because it is a long dance section there's no there's music right. but there's no that's not a song at that yeah it's just uh bob Fosse and uh, another uh character um uh, played by tommy roll um just dance in an alley
2: for uh, for a while right on. uh showing off and i like i like that stuff um the, well he's such a masculine choreographer too that that's kind of that's like the ultimate bob Fossey zone
1: right right um and uh, uh i liked uh, i like the 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 comedy in the movie i liked the the rest of the cast like i mentioned is jack jack, uh, jack lemon um betty garrett is the lead i guess uh janet lee plays the titular Eileen, um, Dick York is in it, and he's uh, he's fantastic. And here's where we get to the thing that puzzled me the most about the movie. Okay, which is its sexual, sex and gender politics, which are really like.
2: Bearing in mind this c- is 1955,
1: he said. But yeah, yes, but it's not not just. It would be one thing to say, "Oh, it's 1955; right. they're all terrible." They're weirdly confusing because, um. Uh, Betty Garrett's character Ruth uh, and Janet Lee's character Eileen move to Greenwich Village to become uh, she, uh, Ruth wants to be a a, a writer and uh, Eileen wants to be an actress and so they're living in a very a bohemian part of town right and the movie seems very open uh, and accepting of that Dick, Dick York's character lives with his fiance they are unmarried and live together um, and that's obviously. No big deal at all now. Um, <laughs> but unusual. Th- uh, but unusual at the time. And they, but they're, they're, there's no judgment. They actually have some fun with it. Yeah. So, on the one hand, it seems like they're okay. Like the movie is okay with um, exploring some uh, new youth centered morality, sexual mores. But then it also seems like it's saying that these two sisters are okay with it in other people, but are aghast when anyone thinks when they when someone thinks that Dick York is living with them, uh it's reason to end the relationship with that person. Like so that the the movie is approving of it up to a point, as long as it's like the ancillary characters.
2: I mean, uh, it's a little extreme, but I think that's a that's not an uncommon impulse to be accepting of things that other people do, but not want to be associated with that personally.
1: Yeah. I, but, I mean, you're talking about the characters and I guess I'm talking about where the, I'm trying to figure
2: out where the movies. Okay. Go. I don't remember it specifically enough to say. Uh, and then the other thing that really like
1: for one thing, i uh, in the plus column to use something that, uh, hey, Tyler right. says a lot, um, <laughs> and that Christopher Walken says in Batman returns, That's as right. we uh, <laughs> learned during our uh, marathon, um, in the plus column, the movie definitely seems aware of how, common sexual harassment is for women especially a young actress trying to get jobs yeah. you know it's aware that these things happen and that uh, favors are expected um and it doesn't condone them but then it also seems to be <laughs> way too forgiving of them <laughs> like Jack Lemmon's character has a scene with uh Betty Garrett's character that if this scene word for word were in a movie today it would be the most tense and disturbing scene in the movie <laughs> where he's essentially like trying to date rape her. That's right. That's like, it's played for comedy here. Well, he's not succeeding. So that's, <laughs> right. that's what makes it funny. Uh, but then we get to like, she runs out and we realize like, okay, he was being a cad that was wrong. But then he like shows up, says he's sorry. And then they're like, great, I guess we're in love now. <laughs> it's like, wait, <laughs> that just, uh, so I, I I'm, I understand that, that certain grains of salt have to be taken. Uh, but and I'm, not, I'm not judging the movie at all for it, but it is the it seems like a special case because it seems no, I so on the f- on the fence of different ways of thinking about these things.
2: Yeah, I was going to say I wouldn't entirely let off the hook either, because Imitation of Life has a very similar sort of near date rape scene um, and it's flatly condemning it and very much against it, mm-hmm. which was just four years later. So it's not like social mores had greatly changed between right. 55 and 59. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's, it's too easy to let films from a certain era off the hook for certain uh, morals. But if the more you look at movies from the era, those eras, there's always examples standing out that are more progressive and more modern or however you want to think about it. See, what I hear is that it sounds like old,
0: Eisenhower had some different priorities in his second term and it was just yeah. like we gotta we gotta really address this uh in film because I'm tired of this being you know ca- uh,
2: treated so casually that is how the office of the president works it's, it's why give me Hollywood that's why I like Ike.
1: Um, <laughs> I didn't mention that the um the person who was interviewed at the beginning I guess of uh, my sister Eileen was Chris Lemon Jack Lemon's
2: son mm. Oh, cool. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with those child actor of actor things. Uh, how was this one?
1: He was very entertaining okay. because he is an actor himself, which a lot of children of actors are. Right. But he has an actor spirit in that he would tell stories about his dad, either stories that he knew or just stories his dad had related to him. And he would be acting them out with doing a lot of different impressions. Oh, that's he cool. Did, he did a George Kukor impression that was funny, but maybe... Maybe a little homophobic on the <laughs> entirely, like, or maybe George Cooker was just really was that mincing, just like never stopping moving his arms as he talked. <laughs> um, uh, and then, of course, he did a uh, an extended story. Apparently, he has a also has a one man show about his life um, hmm. as Jack Lemmon's son, and so he found a natural way into a story that it's apparently one of the stories he does on stage. So he just, at one point stood up and just did Jacqueline oh. for like a full, like five to seven minute story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was really funny. Um, it was, it was, very entertaining. I've seen, uh, interview footage. I don't remember
0: his name, but with uh, Bella Lugosi's son, who's like a lawyer.
2: Yeah. And he looks exactly like, like Bella yeah. Lugosi. It's insane. I saw him introduce a TCM fest thing a couple years
0: ago. Yeah. And like, and he doesn't, he doesn't have the accent. Right. And he's just like a, just a, normal, yeah. a pretty regular guy. But his which, last name is still Lugosi. I think. Ah, I can't remember. I how. don't remember. He might, he have, might have his changed. mother's name. Yeah. I don't okay. I don't remember. But because it'd be funny if he was just like <laughs> Ned Lugosi,
2: <laughs> or Carl Lugosi. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and just but I also like that he would work in Dracula lines and every day He's <laughs> like, no, I never drink wine. <laughs>
2: Uh, what else did you see on Friday? Uh, so I'll blow through these because was quite a few. Um, I wow. went for the introduction of the conversation because I've always wanted to see Francis Ford Coppola speak. He's one of my very favorite filmmakers. so I was excited to see him and got in the second row of the huge Chinese theater oh. um, to hear him tell the same stories about the 70s that I've heard a billion times. <laughs>
1: Well, but, um, uh, I don't mean to rub in your face, <laughs> but you missed a few I years know. ago the greatest in person Fans of Coppola appearance ever. I regret it so much. At San Diego Comic Con, <laughs> yeah, when it was him and Dan Deacon, yeah, the musician, and uh, he was chanting the word Nosferatu over and over again. It was, it was, it was a delight. This is why what, you got to come to Comic Con.
2: <sighs> I should have gone that year, admittedly. yeah, that's the year you should have gone. Um, Ben Mankiewicz, who did most of these kind of big-name introductions, told a funny story about backstage Coppola just having nothing to do and so you just start sweeping the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So after that, I ran over to Amazing Film Discoveries, which is a program Serge Bromberg, who runs Lobster Films, put on kind of just showing the process in which they find and restore films. The big highlight of this was the rediscovered footage of, of, uh, Laurel and Hardy movie called battle of the century, mm-hmm. uh, which is apparently the biggest pie fight ever put on film. And it's a hell of a pie fight. I'll give it that. Um, we also watched some Buster Keaton shorts and it was, it was a good time all around. Uh, after that, I went over to see pleasure cruise, which any movie from 1933 called pleasure cruise, I'm going to go see, <laughs> um, it stars, uh, What's his name? Roland Young, who is always played a cuckold and does again in this movie. His wife goes on the titular cruise to uh, see if she can seduce men because she's been married since she was, you know, probably on the They're younger 13. side. It was 1933. <laughs> so you never know. Um, but yeah, so she's just trying to see what else is out there in their life. And he goes on the ship posing as a barber to spy on her and hijinks sure do ensue. That movie was actually on YouTube, actually. So listeners can see that movie. Uh, and after that, I got into Six Hours to Live, which is a William Dieterle movie about it's about a lot of things. And it's a little confused early on, but it ultimately builds to be about a guy who gets resurrected for six hours in order to find his murderer, um, which is a great premise for a movie. That's awesome. It is a 72 minute movie, and that starts about 25 minutes into it. So the first 25 minutes are a little labored. But after that, it gets in addition to it being a solid mystery and a revenge movie. It's also like weirdly existential, and he basically comes back on Earth with like this expanded idea of the universe Hmm. and stops being concerned with all the little things that everyone wants him to be concerned with. So it's really actually kind of spiritual in its own way. And I ended up choosing it over Passion of Joan of Arc, and it gave me a pretty similar experience, i got to (laughs) say.
3: That's
1: great. That sounds like a a good um, uh, double feature with The Crow. I've never seen the crow but I know well, the premise. The premise so, yeah. of the crow is yeah <laughs> And then
0: you can back. watch some episodes of Pushing Daisies and uh <laughs> you've had a really fun yeah. a really fun night. Isn't Pushing Daisies movie? is the best show by the way. It's so amazing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. No, uh my uh my wife and her uh employees for the last few days while working have been listening to Harry Potter audiobooks and it's Jim Dale who does them and he's the narrator for Pushing Daisies. Oh, awesome. So and he also is I don't uh is it Dr. Terminus from Pete's Dragon? I don't know. Did you ever see Pete's <laughs> no. Dragon?
1: David, did I've you? I've never seen it.
0: Oh, wow. What is Is it a movie? <laughs> yeah. What the, <laughs> what the hell is going on here? Yes, it's a movie. <laughs> Came out <laughs> in the 1970s. Uh, it's, man, I don't it's know. way too long. It's <laughs> I, got uh, Mickey Rooney and uh, Shelley Winters. and But it's from that period of Disney movies. Right? Is is it Disney? It's it's Disney. It's live action with with like a cartoon dragon.
1: Yeah. So it's funny. It belongs to Pete. <laughs> one of those Disney movies that no no one has seen. <laughs> Not everyone I know like has
0: seen this movie. I remember like till now.
1: I've I'd never s- seen that. I've never seen Going a Little. Later, I've never seen The Sword in the Stone. I've never seen any of the rescuers or the great mouse detective. I know you're a big fan of uh, the great Great mouse mouse detective is pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, there's a whole thing there that I, David, I've got good
0: news for you. I own most of those. I don't own Pete's dragon. Try to guess how much that bothers me.
1: (laughs) Just a little bit? A lot. <laughs> a whole lot. Are you looking, there's a new Pete's Dragon movie. And it Coming looks out. like shit. Okay. Because it
0: is not <laughs> trying to capture the tone at all. It's just trying to be like, hey, uh, you know the thing where like this kid like owns a dragon? What if he was like super serious? And that seems to be what they're trying to do. Isn't uh, David Lowry directing that of all people? I do not
2: recall. The guy from Cracker? I don't know what that is, but <laughs> uh, no, the guy who directed uh, Ain't Them Body Saints. Oh, yeah. He's okay. directing some Disney reboot. Gosh, I, I, hope Pete's it's, dragon. I hope it's okay. that.
0: Um, now I'm now I'm excited for it. <laughs> all
1: right, Pete's Dragon. David Lowry was in a. Uh, this is different. David Lowry. Okay, a band called Cracker. All right,
0: but when you say Cracker, I was like, you mean the Robbie Coltrane uh, BBC series?
1: No, you you don't know the band Cracker either. No, you know the song "Low Euro yeah. Trash Girl." I got Eurotrash Girl.
0: Wow, I do know the song "Every Little Piece" from Pete's Dragon, all right. sung by Jim Dale as Doctor Terminus. Uh, he also did the uh, narration for uh, Pushing Daisies. So I've heard. That's did
2: you do any audiobooks? What was that? Did he do any audiobooks? A couple. Okay. That's good enough. know. <laughs> uh, what are we on? Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> well, Saturday? To, um,
1: hold on. What are, you, what, are you, what are you looking
2: up? Are you looking I, up I stuff just,
0: about
1: Cracker? Yeah, no. Also, uh, I, just, uh, I was going to look up other songs. I'm not going to play anything. Okay. Uh, he was also in a band called Camper Van Beethoven. You've heard of Camper Van Beethoven? No. no. All right. Wow. Um, I thought yeah. I was among uh, my people here. Yeah. Kind of sucks when you discover, <laughs> Oh, you're the only one at the table that yeah. uh, knows this thing. Yeah. Although I'm not actually a big, Oh, I was a big cracker fan when I was, when they were out. Is, the, spell, is it Is it traditional cracker spelling? Yeah. Or is there like a, a
0: a k in there somewhere?
2: There's a K in uh, there where they supposed k. to be extra,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> at the you place should, you would expect to find yeah. a K. You should um, change your Twitter bio to a big cracker fan.
1: Just <laughs> we'll see how that goes over. <laughs> um, Uh, The one thing I want to say, so after my sister, Eileen, I went uh, to do some writing and I went to my favorite place in all of Hollywood and Highland, which is Sammy, Sammy Hagar's Cabo Wabo Cantina.
2: (laughs) It's the worst place you've ever taken me, by the way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing I have found with AFI Fest in this. I love that place (laughs) for this reason. The why they have their free Wi-Fi. That's That's pretty good. That's great it's i also love margaritas and mexican foods and they get free chips and salsa i have a margarita and free chips and salsa while i'm writing which is ideal yeah uh because of its weird location at hollywood and highland it's almost kind of hidden it's on like the top floor it's on the it's on the yeah like the second from the top floor but it's like behind the stairs yeah you have to be at a certain place before you even see that it's there so there's always a place to sit yeah and so uh i ended up at tcm fest Going to Cabo Wabo every single day <laughs> to write because I always had a nice, cool place to sit with free chips and salsa and a drink and very reliable Wi-Fi. So I am a huge fan of Cabo Wabo. It is uh, Make a good case. It
0: is kind of adorable the way Scott just said, that's the worst place you've ever
2: taken me <laughs> to. <laughs> Yeah, we did go. Yeah, during an AFI. Film. It was so the music was so loud in there. Yeah, and I'm admittedly quiet talker. So yeah, and I I was admit, not up to...
1: because I'm when I'm there writing, I'm not there to talk to right. the person. The loud music is probably actually good in that it blocks other stuff out. That's I can, true. I can focus. I I like writing in bars. I, I have found. Oh yeah, it's very pleasing that bars are. I haven't really
2: tried the coffee shop thing. I feel like it might be too much. I don't like it as much. It's because they're always calling out. I mean, it depends on the bar you're going to, but coffee shops are always calling out names for orders. Right. People are always irate because they haven't had their coffee yet. You right. Or go, you got to go like 2 a.m. But Or, no, the, or they're
1: agitated solid. because they're drinking coffee. Yeah. Whereas I feel like a bar, especially it's at a certain relaxing. time of day, people are cool. They're on essentially depressants, which <laughs> alcohol is. Uh, it's, uh, it's, I, found it, I found it to be... I, I did that at Sundance, too, a lot. I, I found it to be a really pla- a really efficient place to get writing done. If I go somewhere else, I'm too easily distracted. But I can sit in a bar and write and churn stuff out uh, at a good clip.
0: So th- what's interesting about this is that next year at TCM Fest, if listeners are so inclined, they know exactly where to find you at the end of the day. And they can go buy you a drink.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I love it. Uh, yeah, we should do a meetup. Oh, my God. We should do a meetup <laughs> at Cabo Wabo <Lavo> next year. <laughs> a battleship Retention meetup at TCM at Cabo Wabo.
0: I predict I will be out of town.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, let's move on to Saturday.
2: Yeah, Saturday I started with the 90th anniversary of Vitaphone program. Uh, these were old Vitaphone shorts. They're all on 35 uh, that were just capturing you know the big comedy and musical acts of the day and distributing them to the masses uh, and it was kind of a mixed bag you know some of them were incredibly funny some of them were a little tiring uh, actually amazingly Burns and Allen wasn't the funniest act on the register partially because it didn't seem like they figured out that Grace Allen was the funny one of the two yet <laughs> and so George Burns was trying to get a few too many moments in spotlight to himself uh, but on the whole it was a great program it was kind of a promotional thing for Warner Archive and the DVDs they put out, of those, Uh, but I can't imagine them playing that well at home. Part of it, I think, is the fun of seeing these things with the audience and getting you know, more laughter, because a lot of it's just people looking at the camera and telling jokes,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, which I don't think would work as well at home. Although, then again, I never got into stand up specials at home, which apparently a lot of people do, so maybe I'm just out of step there.
1: Um, yeah. uh, I also started with the, my day with a presentation as opposed to a, uh, is, is that the official name for those presentations? Sure. Uh, was this in the TCM club? Or no, this was in the Egyptian. Oh, so it was out of there? Okay. Because they have in the Blossom Room at Roosevelt, at the Roosevelt Hotel, um, which is uh, where the first ever Academy Awards took place. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does this look? Nothing.
0: <laughs> it's fine. I'm making a bad joke in my head. Go on.
2: All right. I feel like you guys are texting back and forth about me. <laughs> no, I'm trying to find the name of one of the acts at the Vitaphone show that I can't remember. I'm just All checking right. the time. Okay.
1: Um,. So I went to a presentation that was uh, um I guess the MC or whatever was uh Carrie Beauchamp, who we talked about before because she has a a book uh, out now that she uh edited um called My First Time in Hollywood and that was the name of this the this thing and it's a collection of stories from different autobiographies of uh um very early Hollywood uh people about their when they first came uh to To Hollywood to... By early Hollywood, what do you mean specifically? uh, Like the teens, mostly. Um, And so they had... And so she would set up each... First, she started talking about Hollywood history. Not Hollywood industry history, but literally the history of the neighborhood Hmm. of Hollywood. And um, uh, it was... uh, Some of this I already know because I'm kind of a nerd about that stuff anyway. But um, uh, H.H. Wilcox... You know, there's Wilcox an avenue oh, yeah, yeah. in, uh, in Hollywood, uh, had a, um, a, a ranch essentially, um, at what is now like Hollywood and Cahuenga and his wife named the ranch because this rich people used to have names for their houses, like officially, mm-hmm. uh, named it Hollywood after a different East coast estate that she hmm. was, I don't know, a fan of, I guess. And that's like how it got its name. Um, and so she talked about that and then she would introduce each, there were five different stories and five different readers. So, um, she introduced one of them was a story of Harold Lloyd's early days of sneaking onto the universe a lot to get extra, extra work. And that passage was read by Harold Lloyd's granddaughter. Mm. Um, and then, uh, not all of them had a, uh, had a direct connection. And at this point it's been a week and I can't remember exactly who everyone was and who they were reading, but I know, um, screenwriter, uh, Anita loose. Is that, uh, that's correct. That is, yes. Her story, which was delightful, was read by a friend of the show, Lorraine Newman. Oh, um, and she, she did a great job. Obviously she's a, she's a performer. Uh, and we had, uh, there was one that was, uh, a kid. It was written by, uh, written by a kid who was in, um, city lights. Uh, wow. and there were what you found and caribou shop even like commented on, on this at the end. Um, In this time, in, like, the teens in Hollywood, the figure of D.W. Griffith was so towering over everyone. Like, when they thought of Hollywood, they thought of D.W. Griffith. Not just, like, fans, but these people. When they came to Hollywood, they either just expected to meet D.W. DW (laughs) Griffith or were bowled over when they actually did. Um, It was really interesting to... uh, Going back to, I guess, last fall when we had... um, The Silent Film Quarterly. uh, 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 Charles Upton. Charles. uh, uh, Yeah. When we had him on, we were talking about the idea of the D.W. Griffith Award and stuff and the idea Mm -hmm. of his um, legacy and reputation having changed over time. Yeah. Um, And TCM Fest is a weird place where no one mentions that because no one has to. Like everyone here. Yes, we're aware he made one of the most racist films to ever (laughs) come out of Hollywood. Uh, We all know that. That's not what we're here to talk about. And so they just talked about him um, uh, otherwise. And there was no sense of either condemning or having to forgive that aspect of it. It's like, I guess it's a little bit of esoteria in that everyone there is on the same page about this. Like, obviously, we're not racist. We don't have to apologize for that. We're just here to talk about this thing.
0: And I think there's the, the acknowledgement, either spoken or unspoken, that like, the reason we're here it would have been someone eventually who made feature films and did all the things that griffith did someone was going to do that eventually and then we would be celebrating that person but yeah. it's griffith so we're all here like we some of us are were inspired to do any to come to la hollywood because of maybe not griffith specifically but something that he spawned right. which is maybe everything.
1: Yeah, plus the movies are showing in Hollywood and Highland, which is modeled after the Intolerance set. Yeah, Yeah. which
2: is one of the weirdest things. Yeah, and every time I go there, I'm like, that's just strange. And I find myself wondering, like, sitting at
1: Cabo Wabo and looking out at these big big elephants, like, wondering, (laughs) how many of the people
2: who come here,
1: like, know that? It has to be the tiniest fraction. And so what do they think of the fact that there are (laughs) huge elephants like, dancing in the sky above the the shopping mall? It's weird. I do, the, the, look, just the thoughts that happen when when you're in Cabo Wabo.
0: like you just,
1: you know. <laughs> All right. What's next for you, Scott? Uh,
2: next for me, we're finally following up on that Dodsworth tease I mentioned earlier. I saw William Wyler's A House Divided starring Walter Houston. Uh, this movie is so rare that, uh, who'd they have in t- attendance? They had, William Wyler's son, I want to say, um, and he had never seen the movie before. He had just seen it a couple of days before he was set to introduce it. And that's uh, too bad that it's so rare because it is incredible. It is 70 minutes of pure tension. Uh, Walter Houston plays this very curmudgeonly old man. Uh, <laughs> you don't say. You know, uh, who had just lost his wife at the start of the film. They're burying her. And he almost immediately sets upon to marry a new woman because he lives in this small fishing town. He needs someone to look after the house and all that. But he's just a right asshole. So, you know, that's not going to end well. Um, but his son wants to get out of the house so badly that he's willing to help him no matter what. And so he sends in, out for a mail-order bride, gets back much younger than he expected. And you know, given the setup of an asshole man mail-ordering a young bride and his son wanting to get away too, you can probably guess where it goes from there, but you definitely can't guess how it gets there. Um, and I was about ready to rip the armrest out of the chair. I was so tense during this movie. Wow. It just the, Everything about it just keeps escalating. No matter at what point you think the tension's going to start dropping, uh, Walter Houston remains as mean and fierce as ever <laughs> throughout the entire damn thing. And this is not available anywhere? I don't think so. You can probably try to find it streaming someplace, but it's definitely not in DVD as far as I could tell. Damn. Um, yeah.
1: And this great. was when they ended up adding a second screening on Sunday. Yes, because yeah. it's popular enough. Yeah, and I because I'd heard about it all weekend, I really wanted to go to the second screening on Sunday, but I had to do my dumb podcast with Paul. <sighs> I had to I had to go talk about TV with Paul Goebel. Uh, television. <laughs> um, it's, it's a fad. So, uh, <laughs> it's going away. The first uh, movie that I saw, on Saturday, um, was Buenos Aires, Mrs. Campbell, um, which was in the Chinese theater. Yep. Um just a very impressive place. It's not often that a like an historic theater can get that extensive of a remodel and even the fans are like yeah, I
2: uh, <laughs> sign off. <laughs> like this is, I still liked it better before, but yeah, it's still did. nice. Yeah, because it, the earlier setup, it was the, still the flat, non-stadium seating. So everyone was looking up at the screen. Mm-hmm. And the screen was actually bigger than two, and it sat the auditorium sat more people. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah.
1: Um, was the screen bigger, though?
2: It was, Huh. I think. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I have plenty of fond memories of seeing movies at the uh, the Old Egyptian, but I uh,
2: I do find this new one to be... Impressive when when you, Oh yeah, in, it's very still very nice. If, if theater. I'd never seen the old Chinese, I'd still be like, this is the hell of a theater.
1: Yeah. Um, and on that, uh, born to Sarah, and Mrs. Campbell isn't exactly, I mean, there it isn't the conversation or network or like, you know, the movies that, right. are, but it, um, seemed to mostly justify being in the large house in terms of, uh, turnout. But I think a lot of that was probably for right. Gina Lola uh, who was there. She's the star of the movie. Um, and uh, Ben, Wink- ben uh, uh aforementioned uh, interviewed her and she was she was delightful. The movie itself is kind of a trifle. Um, the, the the premise, um, c- comparing the sexual politics of 1955's uh, My Sister Eileen to 1968's Born to Sarah Mrs. Campbell shows how quickly things changed. <laughs> because Born to Sarah Mrs. Campbell is about an Italian woman who, during World War II... Uh, U.S. air force squadron was stationed in her town and in the space of 10 days, she uh, had sex with three of the men and then became pregnant and wrote to each of them telling them they were the father. And for now 20 years has been getting a check once a month from each of these three men uh, who all think they're the father of her daughter, um, which she has used not to, um, live a lavish lifestyle, but to give her daughter a great education, her daughter's off at like a really uh, um, uh, swanky school in Switzerland or whatever, uh, and then comes back in town when the squadron comes back for their 20-year reunion. They decide, we're going to have a reunion in the town. We fell so in love with this town (laughs) 20 years ago, and so now it becomes kind of a, a farce where Mrs. Campbell, because that's the thing, she told each of them, that they were the father. She told the rest of the town people, townspeople that she had married a fictional, um, uh, captain named Campbell and that he had gone off and died in the war. So that's why her name is Mrs. Campbell, even though, uh, that's a made up, she named it after the soup. Um, <laughs> and so it becomes a farce of her trying to keep these three men, um, from finding out about one another, while these three men are also trying to keep their wives from finding out that they <laughs> have a secret daughter in this small town, see everything uh, about this sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're really, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I just uh, I think uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, making it seem better than it is because it doesn't. The, the, there are things about that premise that doesn't that don't hold water. Mm-hmm. It requires the daughter, for one, to be ridiculously un like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> curious <laughs> about, about her father and his family back home in, in the States. And then suddenly to come home and be very curious about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of, that's kind of weird. Um, and there are all other, other sorts of things that it brushes off, but it's mostly about the cast, you know, little budget as Mrs. Campbell. Uh, one of the three men, uh, is played by Phil Silvers and his wife is played by Shelly Winters and they're uh. great. Um, and then one of the other uh, men is Telly Savalas, who is also fantastic, as he is in everything. Uh, I'm weirdly a huge Telly Savalas <laughs> fan for some reason, and he's, uh, he's, he's great, uh, great in this um, as the kind of uh, lunkhead with a heart of gold uh,
0: guy. Is the, okay, this is probably a dumb question. I apologize. Is this film uh, like cited as any kind of influence on Mamma Mia?
1: Uh, I don't know because I've never seen Mamma Mia, but it is okay. that's that's the story, right? It does right? have that. And here's why I thought of it because when you said because
0: asshole that I am, here's what happens: anytime somebody mentions that somebody that a character in a movie is Italian or takes place in Italy, my first reaction, and I will often say it, but I keep it to myself, is usually Mamma Mia. <laughs> I usually say that, so it was in my head, and then when uh-huh. you described, it, it was like Mamma Mia. That sounds like that, and so I'd be curious to know if that was. I mean, to my knowledge, what I, which is limited about the musical, I feel like these guys aren't necessarily military or whatever. But, but you it does kind I mean, of, right. have, yeah, yeah. But it does kind of have uh, that vibe to it.
1: Yeah, um, I guess so. I've never seen Romeo. Oh, it's a delight. Uh, I but yeah, uh, so when it's said, Mrs. Campbell, it's um, I don't know if it's worth making a special trip for, but uh, it does have a good cast doing good work. Um, and it does have a, uh, like I mentioned with my sister Eileen, it does have a surprising amount of sympathy for Carla, the Mrs. Campbell character, and the situation. The the you know the reason she might have lied, in the way that she the, the the situation that, uh, I guess in the nineteen forties, choosing to, you know, be unmarried and sleep with three men in the space of two weeks um the the shame that might have opened her up to mm-hmm. it make it has a lot of sympathy for the choices that she made uh and makes a good argument for her so yeah good cast okay movie <laughs>
0: i've i've come to uh over the years really appreciate phil silvers mm-hmm. as a as an on screen presence what what type of character is he playing here
1: uh i guess, and he's i don't want is i feel weird saying nebbish but okay. he's kind of a nebbish i okay. guess yeah yeah um But he's also the, um, of the three men who have all gotten married Mm. or whatever, he's the only one he and uh, who has actually had kids in his second marriage. So he's, he's the father. That's kind of what defines him is he's the father. Like it's sort of their, their, their types is one of them is the very, very handsome and dashing, Mm -hmm. uh, guy. One of them is the loving father and one of them is the, uh, Telly Savala still lunkhead with a heart of gold as I yeah. mentioned before.
0: Okay. It's
2: it sounds good to
1: me. Yeah, maybe I made it sound better than it is.
2: Uh while you were saying that, I was seeing Bulldog Drummond Strikes Back, which was a last minute decision on my part, and I'm so glad I did. This is a pretty rare film. It is on daily motion though, if people want to check it out, and I encourage you to. Um I've heard this one's better than Bulldog Drummond and New Hope. Yeah. <sighs> I hope listeners heard my sigh. <laughs> um, the Phantom bulldog drumming. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what I was going to say. Anyway, uh, the 1930s was a great time for uh, comedy mystery movies. Uh, and this is probably the best one I've seen. Even better than those rotten thin man movies that everyone hates so much. Uh, <laughs> but it, uh, it takes place in in London town. It stars uh, Ronald Coleman as the most, uh, he really toes the line very well between of well, those detectives between taking the mystery very seriously and being utterly aloof about it. Uh, and it's just, it's a blast. It feels like a spoof of movies that hadn't yet come out yet. And yet the mystery itself is still pretty compelling and the finale, of which you can't quite predict where it's going to go. And it's just involving enough without the mystery, like kind of overtaking it and making all the murders and stuff too seriously. But it's just uh, from top to bottom, I could not stop laughing. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm supposed to, according to introduction, petition Criterion to release on Blu-ray because they have the rights to do so and have no interest in doing so. But they should
1: get on the ball. Yeah. Maybe it'll at least be available on Filmstruck.
2: <laughs> that can be our oh, hope. Yeah. yeah. Hmm.
1: I'm, I'm a movie man myself. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And then after that, I saw an hour-long conversation with Elliot Gould and Alec Baldwin, which will lead into, I know, your next movie, because you, yes. too, saw Elliot Gould talk um, for a little
1: bit. Not Alec like Baldwin, although I did see him. Uh, I did have a Alec Baldwin sighting last week, uh, huh. walking down the street in his workout clothes,
2: covered in sweat. Mm. Um, he was looking quite dapper when I saw him.
1: That was actually, it was actually a weird thing. I was walking down Wilshire yeah. Boulevard, and there was a guy in front of me. Turns out it was Alec Baldwin. I didn't know he was walking with his wife, um, guessing his wife. Uh, and it, like, then he turned to like look in the window of a store, and suddenly you know, a few yards from me in profile. <laughs> I was like, Oh, I was, that was right. all the whole yeah. time. Uh, it
2: was, uh, yeah, it was stunning. It, uh, yeah. They made for a kind of interesting duo because Baldwin is a total ham in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Elliot Gould just kind of kept looking at him like, what have I signed up for here? <laughs> um, and he kind of, it seemed like he was trying to steal the show, but Baldwin that is, but you know, Gould's still very cool and has yeah. all the, everything you like about him from the seventies, I think is still very much intact.
1: Yeah, he's very, yeah, he's very cool. Um, and yeah, uh, so moving into the next thing, part of my mission statement for myself, um, as I, I mentioned um, with Passion of Joan of Arc, was I was going to use TCM Film Fest to fill in some major gaps in my knowledge. So the next two films I'm going to talk about uh, now are things that I shamefully had never seen before. Um, the first one being The Long Goodbye. Um, and Elliot Gould was there. Ben Mankiewicz did not... Uh, Pulling Alec Baldwin and trying to (laughs) to steal the show. He very much kept the spotlight on Elliot Gould, as you should do. Uh, And he's a delightfully funny person. Um, And incredibly, I I guess this is what comes with being... uh, maybe, Maybe this isn't true, but some people, I think become famous and that makes them very
2: comfortable <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: yeah uh, some people maybe have different reactions to fame but Elliot Gould seems very comfortable in his own I, well I think
2: at this point in life you know I mean right. he used to be kind of a hardcore gambler and kind of fell out with Hollywood because of some ego problems as I understand oh. it uh, that's kind of why there's gets to be a dip in the late 70s and onwards that's interesting yeah um, but now I mean he talked about this at the Q&A I was at he's like mostly people just call me because they like me and so I'll work with just about anybody on any level if they just call me <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh and he, and he has a lot of, he like there's one part where he was telling a story and he couldn't think of the name of some of the guy one of the guys in the story, just someone he knew. Uh, and he was like, Oh I'll think of it later. And like five minutes later, <laughs> while Ben Menkowitz is setting up another question, he goes like Oh, Pete Dixon <laughs> like, <laughs> just like jets it out. Um, uh, but the best story he told um was uh about the time that he told Elvis to shut up. Uh, and he, um, uh, he 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 met Elvis. Uh, he was brought backstage uh, at whatever hotel in Vegas Elvis was performing at, and found himself for a brief time away from the the Colonel. What is it? The Captain? The, who who is Elvis the, colonel. The, colonel. the Colonel? The Colonel. It was just him and Elvis in the back room, and so he's he's talking, and Elvis starts giving Ellie Gould trouble about his marriage to Barbara Streisand falling <laughs> apart. He's like what happened to you two? You know, you were great together. You should try to get back together. And, and Ellie Gold says, and I said, and I almost named my memoirs. This shut up. Elvis.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a, that was a good story. Uh, and then, yeah, the, I saw the long goodbye, which I'd, which I'd never seen before and is, um, terrific. It's a crackerjack, uh, uh, little crime story. That's also incredibly funny. Mm. Um, I don't think I knew how funny it
2: was. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. Uh, and there's so many subtle jokes in there, uh, especially just him lighting the cigarette on, or the match on everything he comes yeah. across. He can always <laughs> yeah. light a match. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, that. that's great. Um, but the power of the story isn't lost. That's the
0: other oh, thing yeah, that fascinates me. For sure. Is it like, I'm laughing all the way through so much about the, just the conception of this film seems Silly. And it ends with hooray
2: for Hollywood as he clicks his heels down
0: the yeah. street. <laughs> and then like, uh, but you know, the, the choice he makes at the end when confronted yeah. with, well, I won't yeah. go into it, but like, you know, it's a pretty hardcore thing. And it does not make me think of the film differently. I still think of it as tremendously funny, but, and then all the humor that le- that happens before that does not make me feel like, Oh, there's a sudden shift in character. Like I'm, it's a con- it's a consistent performance the characters written very consistently. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's a really marvelous film. It's kind of, it's a, kind of a little miracle of a film. I'm surprised that it was ever made. I guess it could only be made by Altman in that time, but yeah, but yeah, it's such a wonderful
1: film. Um, I think part of the reason I was surprised at how funny it was is because I don't like M.A.S.H. at all, and I don't find <laughs> yeah, it very funny. and I don't, do I. So I don't generally think, uh, I like a lot of Robert Altman movies, and a lot of them have funny stuff in them, but I don't think of him as a comedy director. Hmm. Even though, like, even Prayer Home Companion is full of laughs yeah. to me. Um, Nashville has some, some really funny stuff. You and I laughed but, a lot at Dr. T and the women. Uh, yeah, I probably did at the time. I haven't seen it in a long time, though. Um. Yeah, I don't know how well that one holds up. I don't know. You and, Yeah, you and I liked it a lot, and I'm curious yeah. to
0: know. Uh, I respect it because of its blatant misogyny. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it is pretty blatant. Yeah. Um, and yeah, maybe that's why I uh, liked Long Goodbye. Part of the reason I liked
2: Long Goodbye more than MASH is that it mostly avoids that. Yeah, right? I would say so. It, uh, I mean, the women aren't treated especially well by the men, but the film treats them well. Yeah, yeah. the
1: film shows sympathy yeah. for
2: them. Uh, it at least acknowledges that the men are
0: assholes and not scamps. Yeah.
2: Right. I mean, yeah. it does have young naked women just frolicking next door for roughly the entire movie. So yeah, there's that, but, uh, like, but that's almost, a blast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I almost feel like that isn't, uh, it's just funny. Like, yeah. It's, it's played as a joke and I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah. No, so am I. Um, I'm more than okay. I actually really like those th-
2: that as a, re- as a recurring thing. Yeah. It's very funny. Well, you couldn't like more forcefully show how disconnected Phil Marlowe is from the world around him yeah. than having these total free spirit, naked, always high young girls. Yeah. That's um, why like Sterling Hayden in that film. Like, oh yeah. He he's did a great job. One of his best roles. I'd say. Yeah. I, my only,
1: my reference point for the Long Goodbye before actually watching it was Los Angeles plays itself in which mm-hmm. it's part of the argument that Tom Anderson makes against
2: Altman's Los Angeles. He's not a fan. I mean, I don't know. You've seen it. I don't know if yeah. you've seen Los Angeles places. Yeah. It's been a long time. I forgot about that section of it, which is too bad because I love Altman's Los Angeles.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's not a fan of the, uh, sort of, I think erasure of middle-class and below Los Angeles, mm. uh, in Robert Altman's movies that even the working
2: class people in like shortcuts, uh, live in the hills. It seems like, um, well, that came from almond coming from the 70s when lower class people did live in eventually hip areas.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: that's probably true. Yeah. Um, but I do think that
1: the have it, you mentioned Philip Marlowe in this movie being out of out of place. And I think the fact that so much of Long Goodbye takes place in more affluent and luxurious parts of Los Angeles is intentional because he seems so out of place there. Yeah. But doesn't seem to feel out of place there. He seems to be at ease everywhere, which or, is a standard, or, or, at, or at least flappable everywhere.
0: Yeah. That's a standard Philip Marlowe thing is that he would often deal with, you know, millionaires and stuff in their, uh, wheelchairs. They're always in wheelchairs. <laughs> it's just the one movie. Um, but, and I guess, and I, and I do wonder, it's like when we go back and watch movies like, you know, the big sleep or, or any of these other, uh, noir movies, um, It almost feels like, well, everybody's talking a certain way. Everything's black and white. Everybody's in a suit. And so Marlowe maybe doesn't seem that out of place, considering that the wealthiest guys and the cheapest hoods all wear suits. (laughs) Whereas when you look at it like this, you come to realize that the nature of Philip Marlowe is that he never really fits in anywhere. And so by creating a world that is notably not like him, I feel like you wind up getting insights into the character, not merely in that film, but in every film, and and the nature of the film noir hard-boiled detective, never feeling always feeling like he's completely on his own. I like the. I might be reading too much. But no, no, I think it's thing.
1: totally. Um, this is a guy. I noticed immediately. This is a guy who puts on a jacket and tie to go. <laughs>
3: yeah. Get cat yeah. food for his cat at three o'clock <laughs> yeah. in the morning,
1: and looks really cool. In yeah. It.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh I don't think of Elliot Gould is like the coolest guy in the world and then you see this like I'm 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 incorrect.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah he he shops for cat food. Really cool. <laughs> <laughs> um did you have something else between that uh and uh Band of Outsiders? Nope. Okay, so uh Band of Outsiders is the other one that I'm again uh, ashamed to admit that I had never seen before. Um although maybe we could talk I I've I've never I've always liked Jean Luc Godard, but I've never Loved Jean Luc Godard. I think you you like. I love Jean Luc. Yeah, Godard. you are a much bigger <laughs> fan. I, uh, I I find myself, but then sometimes I watch his movies or revisit his movies or see something like I saw A Married Woman for the first time recently, yeah. um, and I'm reminded like, oh right, yeah, he was great, like yeah. he, or was he's still, <laughs> still is in movies, my opinion uh, that are interesting. <laughs> um, I liked. He uh, just
0: wasting everybody's time and money. It's fine.
1: <laughs> I liked uh, Notre Musique. But I haven't I, seen that one, uh, did not care much for goodbye to language. Okay. <laughs> um, the one, the one in between that I didn't see,
2: what was it called? Uh, uh, shoot, uh, film socialism, film socialism. Yeah. Which is, it's a tough watch.
1: Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, band of centers is, uh, it's, it's terrific.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's the best. I've seen it a billion times and I still, I wanted to leave early because I was very tired and had to get up at seven the next morning to do more TCM fest, but I had to stay through them dancing the Madison because you can't Uh not at least see that if you're there and to see Anna Karina. Well, that was the reason I went in the first place. But once I was already through that, I was like, all right, I'll stick through the first half of this movie (laughs) for one of the greatest scenes on film ever. Uh, And Anna
1: Karina was, was a, was a delight. She did. um, I think, was it Ben Mengwitz again? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I don't really like his interview style that much. I I, think it fits the locale. Yeah. But I think, especially with actors, I don't really think he knows what to talk about. Um, so he ends up talking a lot about who they worked with. And especially in the case of Anna Karina, who's most famous for working with Godard, Mm -hmm. it falls into a rough trap. Hmm. Um, whereas she's such a great actress and so interesting on her own terms that I kind of wish they gotten more into that.
1: Well, yeah, she did tell some good. Oh yeah, no, she's, she's great. Yeah. Um, about how, what was it? She, um, didn't want her first impression of him was just the guy who tried to get her to be naked. In yeah. Who's, uh, that's, that's funny. That's just how uh, she thought of him. But then, yeah, the movie, the movie itself is, um, I don't know. What is, what is the word? It's, it's, uh, well, it's kind
2: of like the long goodbye. It's loose and fun until it suddenly isn't. And the more I watch it, the more it's kind of, uh, vision of misogyny is really striking and mm-hmm. you really see I would, I was not prepared for that. Yeah. You because wouldn't be I think
1: when I think of, when you take the name banded outsiders, I went in expecting these three characters to be a team. Yeah. But that's not the no. they are. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, a, a dude, She is as often, if not more often a victim of them. Oh yeah. they uh, as well,
2: if they're like part of the team. Yeah. Right from the start, they're cornering her into, giving away a, or being complicit in them stealing her aunt's money. Yeah. Um And they just keep forcing her further into that box and eventually, I think they eventually tie her up and gag her, right? Yes. Because I, I didn't stay through the end of the movie, so I don't uh, remember exactly.
1: It, yeah. Um But it's, uh, and in, in the ways that you described it is like The Long Goodbye, but The Long Goodbye does feel like it's um as great as it is, it feels like it's all it, it feels more like reverse engineered. Do you know what I mean? Like Altman set out to make a movie yeah. that felt this way, whereas this and I'm sure that's the case with Band of Outsiders, too. But it <laughs> feels so uh, loose is the word you use, but it's so organically loose. Do you know what I mean? Like other than a few choices, which, which uh, I'll, I'll talk about, it does seem to have uh, uh, a cadence that seems just so natural to me the way that it goes from one scene to the next or the way that the characters
2: move within the scenes uh do you know what i'm saying yeah i mean they talked about this a little bit before the movie and that godard would especially with the band of outsiders he wanted he kept wanting to make just regular crime movies and then they get to shooting and he would abandon the script and just write new dialogue every day and that's what they would shoot and so it couldn't help but go with some sort of other rhythm than the one he would dictate yeah in advance rhythm is a good word yeah
1: i mean it is it is a um overpoweringly cool movie yeah Uh, and and that rhythm is
2: part of it the other end of that is that financiers demanded his movies be at least 90 minutes in length to kind of justify themselves as feature films and so that's why you get scenes of them just like reading the newspaper Uh (laughs) or going to english class for an extended period of time because they're like we got to fill time here this plot's (laughs) not that thick
0: uh, and I think that's why I've never responded <laughs> to a band of outsiders, uh, though I have not seen it in a long time and it's entirely possible. I would like it more now than when I first saw it, which was back in school. Um, that, uh, I think, you know, as tends to happen, I have a respect for it. I like somebody who's willing to like improvisational filmmaking, not acting like the filmmaking itself being improvisational right. is something that I think I appreciate in theory more than actual practice. And like, the the film feels light as a feather to me, um, which is not a bad thing, except I, I'm OK with light as a feather if I'm on board with the protagonist. And I don't mean like, I mean, I'm just I'm in sympathy with them, but I hated all of them so much. <laughs>
2: well, I, I think just... that's the point. Like I said, I don't think it's that light of a movie. Ultimately, the more I watch it, the more kind of harsh it seems. Do you think yeah, it's I that did, from it the was,
1: I was surprised as a first time viewer. I was surprised at how yeah upsetting some of this stuff. Yeah.
0: Is. And it's. And I guess ultimately I I wound up thinking like, okay, so is this some kind of commentary on like, not necessarily the youth, um, but a very specific type of mindset, which is this, the word hipster is like way overused, but just, we'll just say hip, like this hip, cool, detached uh, attitude that came about in like around that time in that place i say that as someone who didn't live there but um you know what i think i'm basing it entirely on godard but i assume everyone was like that right obviously um and so i thought like okay well maybe it's a commentary on that and if that's the case like all right well then maybe he doesn't maybe there's a reason i'm not supposed to like these people it's like ah but i feel like in the same way david that you feel like Robert Allman actually does have a great deal of sympathy for Keith Carradine in Nashville. I feel like, I feel like uh, Jean-Luc Godard actually likes these people quite a bit.
2: But you can do both. I mean, all of Godard's movies, I'm not going to say all because I haven't seen all of his movies, but most of them are ultimately about himself. And so he is always wrestling with the way he mistreats women, and he was treated Anna Karina horribly throughout the relationship. And so he's always wrestling with that, with the fact that he does think he's pretty damn cool. And has all these pop culture touchstones and, uh, yeah, just that push pull between living what you believe is a sense of truth to your life and the effect that that truth can have on others and a certain pride in yourself that then is destructive. And, you know, he can't, it's possible to like a character and also think they're a negative person.
1: um, <laughs> yeah, just, I, I wanted to move on to another aspect of the, or re, double back to talk about something Tyler said. So. Uh, I'll, f- uh, I'll go ahead. Okay, about the improvisational filmmaking. I think mm-hmm. what makes that work is that um, the, even though it might feel like this because of the nature of the shots, the editing and the construction of the movie is not improvisational. I don't, I don't think it seems very. Uh, they very, very intentional and 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 thought out i don't know if you feel the same way
2: uh, Scott but um yeah, I guess I don't know how the, how you mean since so much of the footage was like unpredictable, how you'd find the editing
1: because there are there are cuts that are um almost what's what i'm looking for there's there's a very it's like uh uh like the very practice looseness mm-hmm. like okay, do you know what I mean like like it's here's what I'll compare compared to the film career of director Greg Araki who made some terrific movies that uh, Tyler doesn't like as much. And then he made mysterious skin, which is a great movie, but also yeah. a kind of way of him saying, guys, the stuff I was doing before I'm doing on purpose. I can make a straightforward, fantastic <laughs> uh, movie. And so I feel like there are edits um, in, in band of outsiders, like in the, in the English class, there's a part, where the teacher says something uh, to uh, Franz, I think, Mm -hmm. and he responds, and then it cuts to, and the the camera is on him, and then it cuts to her, Yeah, where his response is repeated, as if it jumped back, you hear him respond again, but also on that cut, the room tone changes drastically. Right. And it's so jarring that it couldn't, help but be intentional do you know what i mean and i feel like it's a way of godard saying uh i know what i'm doing here i'm doing this stuff on purpose and uh what we haven't talked about yet is the fact that this is a uh, a new restoration of the movie and i think um those kind of choices or certain there's a lot of sound uh choices that I i want to get to um in a movie that has more wear and tear can get a little bit diluted whereas with this thing being presented as um, uh, you know, as, as crisply and freshly as if it were something new, you can point out these, uh, these choices and not chalk them up to this being an old movie. You could, they're very,
2: yeah. Or very being a bad print or something. Uh,
1: yeah. Like there are numerous scenes of the two guys, Franz and Arthur um, talking outside and at various different locations around paris where there are very loud sounds of construction going (laughs) on even though you can't see the construction happening um and that i think is the kind of thing that if it were if if the soundtrack weren't uh, restored if it were a little bit muddier that might not stick out as much Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying but in the restoration you really can uh register that as a choice that goddard is making
2: Yeah, I wonder how much of it was a choice. I mean, this is the guy who is credited with inventing jump cuts because he just cut all the boring bits out of Breathless. (laughs) So I think there's a a line there where he just doesn't care. And this is just he was going to edit the movie and the sound is going to be what it is. And the sound they pick up while they're shooting the scenes is just going to be what it is. But the fact that it's
1: construction specifically Mm -hmm.
2: at various different locales.
1: I guess I just don't believe in coincidence enough to think <laughs> like there was there construction going on.
2: Paris was under construction at the time. <laughs> I mean, you're right. Maybe well, I'm there, projecting. Maybe I want to see more of a game plan. In there there and might be. It. And I'm just not aware of it. Just from what I've read and the fact that he was working so quickly, my guess is a lot of that just kind of came about. Well, and it's
0: he's choosing not to avoid it. Like, well, yeah. He's, and that is in itself a choice. It's it's like, oh, well, no, I want this to be clean I want to have as much control as I can it's more just again like I said there's the idea of improv improvisational filming is like oh there's this construction going on yeah all right we'll use it it's fine we can make it work
2: it's something that I admire more than I respond to yeah more and more that's the kind of filmmaking I love that's why I watched the 13-hour movie out one which is all of that for 13 hours did you did did you watch it at cinefamily no I bought the blu-ray yeah i could do that <laughs> yeah sure it's on netflix now
1: uh yeah i can i can definitely watch super long movies if i can take a
2: break it's uh broken up into episodes even so it doesn't you go. go man oh so it's, it's, like, it, a yeah, it's it like, like a netflix series it is like a netflix series kimmy schmidt it's exactly like unbreakable kimmy schmidt <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right um so that's saturday except of course uh i did go to cabo after to uh, yeah. write yeah sorry i
2: couldn't Maybe join you, could you said, but oh, i was yeah, like yeah i had to be up in like seven hours and yeah
1: yeah um I didn't mention that I um, ran into some friends of the show. Um, obviously. Uh, well, I guess band of outsiders was the first time and the only time all weekend yeah. that I, that I saw Scott. Uh, but I ran into, uh, I couldn't stop running into Matt Patterson.
3: Mm. Yeah. Uh, he's
2: everywhere during that
3: festival. Yeah.
1: Uh, and um, watched the, that, the Carrie Beauchamp, uh, my first time in Hollywood thing with, uh, Kristen sales, oh, nice. um, where I met, um, some other people that I now follow on Twitter. <laughs> all right. I don't, I don't need to do it. I'm not going to drop a bunch of names here. Exactly. I dropped drop the big one. Kristen sales. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say Sammy Hagar.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. And then Sunday, well, yeah, yeah I was yeah. up bright and early for yeah. King of Kings directed by Nicholas Ray. Um, I found, um, sorry to interrupt so quick. No, do it. Cause King of Kings was on my to do list.
1: But I have found, uh, and I was talking about this with Julie, actually, because yeah. uh, uh, I saw her on Sunday. Um, compare, in terms of film festivals, compare Sundance to TCM, and compare, in terms of cons, uh, Comic-Con to WonderCon this year while I was in Los Angeles. I find, counterintuitively, that when things are in my town, I find it harder to get up and get there. <laughs> Early. I don't know if you know what I mean. I guess. Because you got other
0: things to that you maybe, can do. When maybe. you're out of yeah. town, like, when this I'm is out all of town, I'm doing.
1: That's exactly what it is. It's like, I am all in. If I, I went all the way to Park City, I went all the way to San Diego. Right. This is all I'm doing while I'm here. I'm going to make the most of it. It's one of the reasons
0: I didn't want to go to WonderCon this year and didn't is because it's like, <sighs> it's like once I'm done with my panels, I can go back home and work.
1: <laughs> what that
0: is not how this works for me
1: um yeah so i didn't make it to the early stuff on the uh, earlier stuff on saturday and sunday because it was just like I got up and i like you know i went through my morning routine and i <laughs> walked my dog i worked out i like made my own breakfast i I took my time
2: yeah i mean for people like me who are just addicted to this stuff uh it comes very easy with the past to just try to pack in as much as possible
1: but at sundance i was out the door earlier than you were oh yeah every day every day yeah
2: yeah, I don't know. Different
0: mindset. <laughs> Here's my comparison. If you read the book Jaws, uh-huh. and if you see the movie, there's a huge difference uh, once they go out on that boat. In the book, they go back at the end of the day. They go, Quint, Hooper, and Brody, they go out, look for the shark, nothing happens, they go back home. They go back out the second day, Hooper gets killed, and then Quentin Brody go back home. <laughs> uh-huh. And then the third day they go back out and Quentin dies and then they kill the, and the shark is dead as well. And then it's just like, it's just a, oh, I, safety is a, I guess an option that like you can go home and then not go back out the next day. <laughs> Whereas in Jaws Spielberg makes it so that like, yeah. no, no, no engine doesn't work. They are stuck there. So now rather than, you know, hang out with the Brody, hanging out with his kids. And then like, all right, I guess I got to go kill this shark now. It's, well, I got nothing else to do.
1: I might as well kill this (laughs) shark. That's uh, a good comparison. Thank you. That reminds me of why I don't love Jaws as much as a lot of people. Because uh, I I never... After all these years and all the times watching Jaws, it is still disappointing to me when it switches from being a horror movie to being a, an adventure
2: movie. When, that's when I start to love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I think it, I
0: think the, the switch works. Um, I think when you, when you bring in, when you essentially bring in a whole new character, you can change the tone somewhat organically. And that's what Quint brings to it. It brings a certain degree of intensity. And then, but at the same time, like no, the was already when,
1: plenty intense, they're like eight-year-old kids getting
0: swallowed yeah, well, no, like he, guys, a blood coming he, out he of
3: blood He
2: brings the... a certain... Um, <laughs> there's no way Maybe, that's how much blood in an eight-year-old, by the way. Let's <laughs> just be it's honest. Like, yeah, it's like Johnny Depp in Nightmare in Elm School.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, that's nice. Um, not a, a certain type of intensity. I guess I mean a certain type of energy um, that the film, I think, needs at that point. But then also, Hooper in the Cage... That's horror.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Quint,
0: die, Quint dying. That's horror, you know? And so it's just like, they still have the fun, like adventure music, but then it's just like, Oh, right. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, sorry, we can move on. We, right, we've sorry. talked about John King watching
2: King of Kings. Uh, which, Tyler recently got that on Blu-ray. So I heard I was right there when that happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as one might expect from a 1960s movie about Jesus, it's not the most adventurous in tackling the story of Jesus Uh, so much so that they were obviously so afraid to do anything with Jesus that wasn't strictly in the Bible that he becomes almost a side character because you know, in the Bible, the very nature of the gospels was other people writing about him. Um, So he feels like weirdly disassociated from the main narrative, but it still has enough stuff to recommend it on uh, Orson Welles is the narration, which is interesting. Nice. Uh, and do we say it Barabbas or Barabbas or Barabbas? Is Barabbas. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, he emerges as more of a main character than you see in most Jesus stories. And so it really starts to send around an idea of uh, violence versus peace as a revolutionary idea, which is kind of in keeping with Nicholas Ray's whole thing of uh, people suppressing their violent natures and all that, which, could have been an interesting way to explore Jesus, but obviously they weren't going to do that in 1961. Uh, Some other interesting stuff about it. uh, Robert Ryan plays John the Baptist. Robert Mm -hmm. Ryan's like one of the greatest actors in the 1950s and Nicholas Ray worked with him all the time. Uh, Rip Torn plays Judas although oh boy. he, I, as far as I could tell, he has no lines. Mm-hmm. So aside from the credit, I wouldn't have guessed as ripped torn because if you know, 1961, you'd only know the voice. Um, I could see every, I could see it in that if that's Judas, yeah. I could see everyone being like, why didn't we see this coming? Like,
0: <laughs> although I guess Jesus did. Damn right. He did. That's right.
2: Um, and it has a weird take on its kind of epic film nature. It has big battle scenes. That's kind of what Barabas is there for. It seems like, mm. but, um, also, their biggest scene with the had 7,000 extras for is the Sermon on the Mount, um, which is really well done and really kind of it's I think the one time the film kind of gets it a larger spiritual thing that it keeps dancing around. Um, and then just a small thing there's that shot in Last Temptation where uh, Scorsese puts the camera on the back of the cross as it's just being hoisted up. Mm-hmm. Nicholas Ray does the same thing at the top of the cross as it's being hoisted up. Mm-hmm. So that's where Scorsese got that. What a hack. <laughs> uh, this was the one print that I saw all weekend that was not in great shape, but whatever. It's still on film. And it was an IB Tech print, so the colors still looked great. And film is always better. <laughs> watch out. Gauntlet, gauntlet thrown
1: down, no, I, I guess. I think you've made that
0: point yeah, on this show often
1: enough. Um, and I, for presentation, I disagree with you, but uh, <sighs> I do think. Again to reiterate points I've made before uh film is still the best archival form that there is damn right uh but for presentation, I will take a cleaner two k over uh two k i could see four k 2K? That, no, I specifically said even two k two over a worn weak. out uh a worn out thirty five millimeter print. <laughs> uh
2: and then David and I saw law and order
1: yes um not uh Jerry Arbuck was not new okay <laughs> uh, in this um now this is the uh Michael Moriarty was there but he was just selling <laughs> stuff on the street yeah uh Elizabeth Rome <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeremy Sisto and Anthony Anderson. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah, um, no, this was a 1932 Western western directed by Con, something Khan. Con, uh, uh, Edward Khan. Edward Khan, written by John Huston and starring Walter Huston. Nice. Yep. Uh, including starring, I didn't know this going in, but a young Andy Devine. Is that how you say his name? I can Andy, remember, Andy, remember. Andy Devine, I think. Devine okay. is how you yeah. say his name? Um, I didn't know who's in it. The audience uh, applauded when he showed up. Well, really he, when starts, he spoke. Yeah. Yeah. That's another yeah, guy like, who, as soon oh. as he
2: opens his mouth, like, all right. Cause I, there are a couple other characters that I was like, that's kind of a portly fellow. That might be him. And then as soon as that character spoke, yeah. I was like, ah, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. But he must have, like, I did the man, he must've been like 27, 26 oh, really? or yeah. something uh, in this role. So this is a young, young guy. Um, and the movie is about how uh, Walter Houston essentially plays wider. Yeah. But it's, it's not why it's uh, fictionalized, but it's, it's very close to that story. Yeah, he is a <laughs> lawman who him and his brother and his friends go to tombstone. So
2: it's pretty no, much no, why um, <laughs> They have a gunfight at the end. Uh, Except there is one
0: character who's like, I can't believe this is happening again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Those herbs were bad enough. <laughs> um, I liked it for the most part. It was a little rough around the edges. I
1: um, I, I find myself liking it a lot because uh, uh, the, uh I the I think that, I mean, uh, Edward This is like, his first feature I think that's what
2: they said yeah which is uh
1: he makes some really interesting uh choices uh I'll get to one extended sequence um in a little bit um but I also and I like the performances but I really responded to John Huston's screenplay and the way that it uh it's not lying about its title it really is about these concepts of law and order and it's kind of cynical about them and that Walter Huston's character I think is a believer in law and order and tries to impose it on this town in various ways, including at one point trying to take all the guns away, right. uh,
2: which felt very, uh, very, very current. Um, well, side note there, what people don't realize in their wild west fantasies is that most towns took away people's guns when they came into town. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. That was not an uncommon thing in Western towns. Tombstone was a lawless town. So taking away people's guns was going to be That's interesting. rough, but you watch, uh, Rio Bravo, that. They- it's very rare for guns to show up. And, and every time a gun does, you can tell that it's unusual in that environment. Oh, so it's like Canada. It's exactly like Canada. <laughs>
1: um, but I still found this, this, this idea of him trying to impose law and order and either being frustrated by the townspeople, not, uh, and not comparing right. to it or finding himself being corrupted by trying to enforce it, essentially becoming something of a fascist <laughs> in the, in the town uh, was really interesting. And then the fact that it ends in a huge gun battle in which almost everyone dies um, felt like, I guess on the surface that's thrilling. It's a big shootout, but it felt really depressing to me that this yeah. is what it all came to. Um And I, I, I found the screenplay to all be very, a very sharp in the way that it um, uh, talked about those things. Case in point, there's a, two scenes back to back. One scene um, featuring Andy D- Devine. Devine. Oh, I thought we said Devine. You said Devine, I said Devine.
0: Okay. A- because Andy when, Devine. I hear
1: that, when I hear that voice, what choice do I have? <laughs> uh-huh. um, the scene made my jaw drop. It was so incredible to me. Well, that whole D- sequence is like uh, amazing. Andy Devine's character has been sentenced to death. Uh, for shooting someone. Um, and he's pleading with Walter Houston's character, uh, Frame Johnson is his name. Yeah. It took me until <laughs> now, I, I kept saying Walter Houston's character because I couldn't remember until now that his name is Frame Johnson. Um, pleading with him, like, the judge will listen to you. And <laughs> Frame Johnson not only calms him down, but by the end of the scene, has him feeling good, like he's doing his civic duty about being hanged yeah. through the like due process. Well, he's the first uh, man to be legally hung. Yeah. In tombstone hanged hanged. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's, watch out now. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> it's like, <laughs> we said leave, uh, leave your guns at the, uh, at the gate.
1: Uh, good one. Thank you. Um, I find that sequence to be that, that seemed to be incredible. And then it's followed up by the hanging itself, which starts off with some literal gallows humor Yeah, in that Andy Devine's character is still, Feeling very positive, smiling away,
2: smiling, and <laughs> they got like, a band playing, I think. Uh, yeah,
1: um, yeah, and it's so it's a very funny scene that I think for a first time director, Khan handles the tradition, the transition, uh, really well into well, now it's time to for this person to actually die. Yeah, uh, and it becomes very uh somber and, and upsetting at that point. Yeah, big time. That yeah. sounds great. Yeah, that was the the I like the movie as a whole. Those two scenes back to back were um. Uh, Really jaw dropping for me. Yeah,
2: Uh, that's another theater four discovery.
1: (laughs) What's That was (laughs) a theater four. Yeah, Yeah, I think you meant a theater for. No, no, sorry. (laughs) Theater four. Theater four (laughs) discovery. Yeah, and I also want to mention Leonard Maltin introduced that film, and um, we mentioned. I think we said the movie's about seventy five minutes long, or maybe we didn't say it. That's how long it is. Seventy five. Yeah, and well, I think Leonard Maltin said you could watch that and that a house divided and house divided and the person next door would still be watching transformers three. Yeah. And he said, God bless short movies, <laughs> uh, which I tweeted and got a lot of love for, um, giving Leonard monk credit. Of course. Indeed. That's Uh, and then I, um, Oh, well then I went to Cabo Wawa to write that right up <laughs> on order. Uh,
2: and then I left cause I had
1: to go podcast.
2: Uh, I saw a two-hour conversation with Faye Dunaway. That was really interesting. Um, she's, you know, she has a reputation yes. for being difficult. Uh, but, it was really interesting to watch her for two hours to kind of navigate how she knew she was perceived and the fact that she's not as big a public persona as she was in the 1970s, you know, kind of all of all the actors of that era, she's kind of fallen the most, I think. Yeah. Um, which is sad. Um, so she was kind of nervous being out there in front of people to talk about her career. Um, and like I said, I'm not the biggest fan of Ben Manquist's interview style, but they got into a lot of good stuff about kind of her beginnings as an actress and kind of coming up at such a young age and becoming this huge star with like her second movie. Um, and so, yeah, it was a, a good afternoon. That'll air on TCM for viewers or viewers for listeners who get that channel. Uh, I'd reckon they check it out. And this was the first year that I did any of these kind of like conversation things that the festival does every year. And I'm, I'm glad I did between fade on away and, uh, Elliot Gould can't go wrong with those two. <laughs> Was that the end of year? No, I finished off with the bandwagon, which I hadn't seen in many years and completely forgot about, but it's still a lot of fun. I still don't think it's, you know, the best of uh, Fred Astaire's later musicals, but it's it's still a blast. And I enjoy clapping for all the musical numbers that nobody alive can hear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, th- uh, this was, this. The festival was fun, and this podcast recording was a lot of fun. It was, uh, it was pretty loose, it's like uh, <laughs>
0: like old band of outsiders. Like uh, we bounced around quite a bit there.
2: But it's we talked battleship about, retention style. Yeah, I we, guess we talked about true. the movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are you going go to go? to end on it next uh, year, what was Patrick,
1: Are you going to attend the festival next
0: year? Uh, everyone says that that uh, AFI Fest and and TCM, TCM Fest is Fest, better. Like that. I need to go to them. But when I hear about, like, standing in lines and you might not get in, that that stresses me out so much. Yeah, but I here's... You know what? Honestly, here's what goes on in my head. It's like, there's always something else to see. And I imagine... It's like, oh, I got shut out of this line. All right, I guess I'll go and see this over here, and then, uh, but I, that I'm too late for that one too. Oh no! And people just keep shutting doors in my face. That's uh, very rare. That's that. I don't know. It's weird, but like, and then I like that. Uh, I wound up, you know, as you guys know, I wound up not going to Sundance. But that right. was a big concern of mine is that I'd wind up seeing like one movie a day because I didn't navigate it correctly. Uh, and with these uh, film festivals, it's a constant concern. Get there early. Have a backup option. Hmm. My backup yeah. option is probably going home. Oh, so. Nope, you've chosen wrong. You know oh, my okay. you know my backup, <laughs> backup option always is. Uh, I think it's quickly becoming uh, your first choice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this was fun, uh, Scott. Thanks for uh, yeah. Coming thanks for having me. TCM Fest. I already can't wait till till next year. Um, I keep refreshing the page to see when the movies are going to be announced. But <laughs> <laughs> good luck with that. It's always two weeks before the festival. Yeah. Um, you can find us at battleshipretention.com where you can find uh, my. Uh, the three thing, three uh, entries I did, uh, writing up the films that I saw and the experiences that I had at TCM Film Festival, that's all uh, there. Uh, and as well as lots of other stuff, you can email us at David at com or Tyler at com. never both. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveyPretension and follow Tyler on Twitter at tylerpretension. Uh, Natalia, you have a couple of other podcasts. I do. One of them is about Survivor, where you talk about Survivor.
0: It's called Worth Playing For. You can find that at uh, Battleship Pretension.
1: And the other one is called More Than One Lesson.
0: That's correct. And uh, this week... uh, I had read on to talk uh, about—he wasn't there, it was just me, but uh, I needed somebody to talk to— my experiences at the International Christian Film Festival, where I discuss uh, the talk that I gave and the responses that I got, and my interaction with Fireproof director
1: Alex Kendrick. Oh, that sounds fun. (laughs) Yeah. That does sound fun. Um, Also, at morethanonelesson.com, you can read Tyler's review of— Captain America Civil War. That's true, yeah. And at Battleship Pretension, you could read Scott's review of Captain America Civil War. It's and true.
0: find that we're uh, apparently the only two
1: that don't love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. There are a couple others. Yeah. But, uh... Uh, so, yeah, check out those dueling hatreds of Captain <laughs> yeah. America Civil War. My other podcast, as I mentioned earlier, is about television. It's called Hey Watch This with Paul and David. Uh, this week, we're talking about Archer and Person of Interest. Scott, where can people find you and your work on the internet?
2: Well, you already pimped my latest article at Battleshipretention.com, which I'm not going to say it's the only review you need to read of Captain America Civil War, because Tyler also wrote a very fine review. Oh, thank you. But uh, oh, very it's, generous. you know, one of two or three. <laughs> um, so you got that. Uh, CriterionCast.com, we're recording a massive episode about the uh, Jacques Rivette collection that Arrow recently put out, including the aforementioned out one. Um, and we'll be talking about the April releases the week after that. And at the end of the month, we're going to talk about Armageddon.
1: Like the movie or the event <laughs>
2: could be a little bit of both. Watch out!
1: All right. Well, um, did you did you go out your Twitter? Rail of tomorrow. All right. There you go. Rail of tomorrow. Uh, thanks again, Scott. Thanks for having me. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye bye.